Good evening and welcome to El Oso Fumar Takes. This is our 167th take live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studios of Euless, Texas. I'm your host, Barry Duplissy, as always, and I'm so proud, so pleased, and so privileged to be with you all tonight. This is going to be a fantastic show, a show I've been looking forward to for quite some time. And spoiler alert, one of two things is going to happen. Either my guests and I are going to be best friends at the end of this, or we're going to be bitter rivals. But we'll find out what happens. I'm looking forward to it. But before I get to formal introductions of the guests of honor, I do have to thank the people that make this show possible. And that, of course, is our sponsors. Tonight's show is sponsored by Drew Estate. Drew Estate is announcing the 25th anniversary with a celebration bash right here in my home state of Texas. This year marks the 25th anniversary of Drew Estate and the rebirth of cigars movement to celebrate this momentous occasion. The company is inviting you, that's you, the consumers, retailers, and cigar media to its epic blowout birthday bash entitled DE25. DE25 will be held on the 25th of September at the South Fork Ranch in Parker, Texas. Guys, that's in the DFW area. That's where I am. Don't worry. It's not in the middle of nowhere. It's like literally 30 minutes from my house, and I'm literally in the middle of Dallas-Fort Worth. So don't worry. Parker, Texas, DE25. It's an event you do not want to miss. Guests who purchase tickets to attend E25 will receive an onslaught of packages worthy of the company's single biggest milestone in event history. So stay tuned for details on that for DE25, the 25th of September. Also sponsor, uh, also sponsoring tonight's show is Oveja Negra Brands, four unique companies who share a passion to provide innovative cigars for the next generation of cigar enthusiasts. Black, black label trading company, Blackwork Studio, Dissident, and Emilio are combining premium tobacco with an artisanal touch. Oveja Negra, where art and tobacco collide. Join the flock and visit ovejanegracigars.com to learn more. And welcome, everyone. It's my distinct pleasure to welcome tonight's guest, always sponsored by United Cigars. Smoke one today. Start living United. Tonight's guest is Mr. Antoine Reed of Tobacco Business. Antoine, how are we doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, I'm doing absolutely fantastic. Happy Mother's Day to your mother. <laughs> she, she thanks you. It was, I, I, you know, we were talking a little bit before we kicked off things tonight. I was like, I was hoping she didn't like consider me a moral enemy because I was taking away her son on, on, on Mother's Day. So. No, but, uh, she, she's like, we talked about it. So she's, she's pretty good for tonight. So I think she, she forgives you for now. That's good. That's good. Well, well, well we're, we're going to make you look good tonight. Well, that, well, actually you're going to make yourself look good. I don't really need to do much here. So she'll be pretty, uh, I think she'll be pretty happy with the result, but uh, um, I mean, do you, do you have any like mother's day traditions? I mean, other than seeing her, I mean uh, you, cause I mean, you guys haven't really moved around. You got, you grew up in the Raleigh Durham area and she still calls that home. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, we, uh, I mean, usually we, we take her out, you know, somewhere for, for dinner, but we didn't do that this year. We just cooked. So she wanted Chinese food. So we cooked Chinese food. <laughs> That's exactly what we had for, for dinner. I didn't yeah. cook it though. I usually do. I am the cook of the house, but my wife wanted PF Chang's tonight. So I was like that, I, that I can do <laughs> easy, easy, easy enough, easy enough. Well, so what did you, what did you guys make her? Uh, she wanted a sesame chicken and a beef and broccoli, and she wanted lo mein, and she wanted fried rice. So I was like, okay. So we, wow. <laughs> so I got my little recipe book out and and whipped it all up, and and then we topped the night off with uh, ice cream sundaes, which I think is what you said you and your family had as well. <laughs> yeah. So we had the basically the same meal. Exactly. It sounds like we were doing <laughs> the exact same thing. Um, no, it's uh, it's 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 actually you know, 
Mother's Day has kind of become, I mean, even with the, the COVID era that we've been living in for the past two years, the last two Mother's Days, I think it's, it was, it's been a really nice day uh, both years. You know, the weather's been nice, it's been cooperative. You know, we had a really good family time and everything. So it's, it's, been, a, it's been a really nice memory for, for my wife, at least, considering what's gone on in recent history. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, so I mean, do you, I, I mean, do you have a lot of siblings? Are you an only child? Um, no, I have a younger brother and a younger sister. Okay, so you're the, the oldest. oldest. Okay, I'm the oldest. Okay, and 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 in true uh, oldest sibling fashion, you were you were there first, right? Yes, I was. Eighty four. Yes. <laughs> well, no, I meant you were there today uh, at the house first. Oh, I mean, well, my sister lives with my mother still. Oh, so okay. so she technically was there first, but oh, okay. Well, that doesn't still cheating. That doesn't count. I was about to say, but I'm I'm still usually first. In most ways, <laughs> I have an older I have an older sister, so I imagine you uh, you two have similar qualities in that regard. She's always she's always first to everything, but uh, <laughs> um, but uh, you know I think um, I mean and so to I mean, so you usually you guys you should do a dinner. You said is there like a particular place in like I was telling you before the show I have never actually I've you know been a layover in y'all's airport once, but I've never actually been to Raleigh Durham. So I'm looking for any tips I can get. I mean, is there a restaurant that she likes that's just a must go to next time I actually have to visit? No, she's not. We never do anything really fancy. It's kind of, it's kind of a uh, very Southern. I mean, we always end up at Chili's. It seems like at least in the, in the BC area, which I call the before COVID era, um, you know, everything's kind of changed now. So um, yeah. So we haven't really been out, like I said, hardly anywhere. Man, Chili's sounds amazing. You're right. I haven't been in Chili's over probably over two years at this point. I think that was of- the last the last place I was at, you know, when we were here and they're like, oh, the state might shut down. We're like, oh, really? We we're like sitting in, in either Chili's or Applebee's or somewhere. And we're like, oh, <laughs> that, that might little, be interesting. <laughs> little little did you know. <laughs> exactly. Last Supper at Applebee's. What a way oh, to go. Uh, hope you had the triple dipper platter, you know. <laughs> I don't think we did. I think I just had a burger. I was like, oh, okay, whatever. We, we were, it was a work thing where I was like, oh, I guess I'll see you tomorrow. Or I guess I'll talk to you tomorrow, next week or whenever. <laughs> like I said, we didn't know what we were getting into. So that was great final last words. Right, exactly. Like I um, said bye to my workers, on uh, my coworkers on a Friday and I haven't seen them in over a year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's crazy. It's just crazy. Just crazy to look back on it. Um, you know, so one of the things I wanted to talk to you right off the bat, Antoine, because I was just, I was really fascinated by it in a couple of different aspects, because uh, you, you have a, a, a very, like a lot of people actually in this industry, you have a really nice affinity and uh, for music. Um, but there was, there's one aspect of music that you, uh, particularly a collection of sorts that you've, you've kind of really delved into, which is, uh, which is vinyl. Yeah. Um, so um, just to put context around this, um, you know, you know, vinyl is, you know, uh, what outdated in terms of technology by what, 40 years? Pretty much. It's, it's, it's out there. Like, I remember when it first started coming back a couple of years ago, I was just like, why would anybody ever want to buy a vinyl? Like, who would play, who, who has a record player? Who would do these things? And then, like, here I am fast forward all these years later, and I'm like, okay, so this person's coming up with an album. I guess I'll need to buy it on vinyl now. So, you know, I, will, I won't miss out 
like I've done on several different music artists because it's a real pain to go back and try to find their vinyls once uh, it goes out of print. So, so I got I got to tell you that one of the f- most interesting things, um, you know, like just pure classic example of the fact that they don't build things like they used to. Right. My, my mother still, my mother keeps a lot of my stuff um, from when I was a kid and everything. And one of the things she has is a, a kid, you knock a Mickey mouse clubhouse record player. Oh my God. I mean, this thing is like straight, straight eighties, like written all over it. Um, I mean, it, it's just obnoxious. Uh, and it's, it's for all intents and purposes. It's a child's toy. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it plays real records. It plays real vinyl, but you know, it's got the needle and everything. And, and, uh, and, and you can replace the needle. I mean, it's, I mean, but it still works. I mean, it still works. And it, the sound coming out of the, the, the makeshift speaker in this thing is not terrible. I mean, it's not, you know, Dolby digital or anything, but I mean, it's good. But it's fun to like to listen to that little it's a slight scratch in the background of a vinyl, you know, yeah. to watch it, to watch it rotate and see that it's not even. And you, so it's like wobbly. I mean, it's just like a, I don't know. It's a, for me, it's an experience. I always like to, the interactions you get with vinyl, you get to hold the record, you know, they make them. And I tell people, I was like, you know, they don't make records. It's not just like a black record anymore. I mean, they, they go all out. I mean, you can find a vinyl that's blue, a vinyl that's red, you know, some that are translucent, some that have, you know, confetti embedded in the in the vinyl. I mean, it's like so many different things that they do. So you never really know. It's almost like the, the Forrest Gump, you, you know, the box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get until you open up that vinyl. You're like, ooh, like this is kind of fun. So. So, so the, the collection has kind of taken on a life it's, of its own, you know, like many things during the what we call before, like you were talking about with the COVID era. Right. So. Like, so, um, but I've, I mean, I've heard, I've heard your collections got pretty extensive and we're not talking about just the classics, right? I mean, we've, we're talking some modern, what we consider modern day and I'm talking like Lady Gaga, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I think I finally, I think I'm maybe like maybe one album away from finishing my, the Gaga collection. And usually I go through Urban Outfitters. So, you know, I've gotten like the, a good, like I said, it's Gaga, but it's like a little bit of but I'm looking at it now. It's like, Madonna and Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera. It's like modern. It's like Mariah Carey, um, Keith Urban. <laughs> it's like uh, Gwen Stefani. So you never know. Like I said, there's a little bit of everybody. You know, Fleetwood Mac. So like, it's like everybody. Bon, the whole Bon Jovi collection. I have all the Bon Jovi, you know, cause I was, before I was into Madonna and Britney Spears and all that, I was, for whatever reason, I got into really into Bon Jovi up until the Crush album. After the Crush album, they kind of went into a weird direction. So I've not really, <laughs> I've not really been into Bon Jovi as much after the Crush album, but I still like feel like I have to, I have to buy it out of obligation of some sort. So you've got a, you've not only is this not in the collection of vinyls. Not only is that interesting and eclectic in its sense in itself, but. But I mean, you've you've got a pretty vast array of taste in music. I mean, I've heard you talk about Reba McIntyre, Madonna. <laughs> I knew Reba was gonna come up. <laughs> so I, I mean, Reba. yeah. I, so true story. I was talking to my father uh, a few minutes um, before you know I put my son to bed, and I was talking to you um, right before the show, and and uh, he's like, "Well, who who you, 
doesn't watch the show. I mean, technology is my father's worst enemy, but he's one of the most brilliant men I've ever met, but email is like kryptonite to him. So, um, and now he's like, Oh, who you got on tonight, son? And I said, I said, well, I was like, I've, I've really got this fantastic uh, media individual. He's done some sensational interviews. And I said, but one of the really things that I'm going to talk to him about is his music collection. I said, dad, you'll really appreciate this. And he's like, yeah, he's like, is he, is he, like me and, and you're exactly like my father in terms of taste of music he's all over the place but one of his all-time favorites is reba reba is like she is the it <laughs> she's like the queen bee like you can't go wrong with a reba like, like i used to tell people like when i first started getting to reba like you listen to her lyrics and they're like soap operas you're like oh my gosh like she'll tell a story if she's told you know i've watched her like behind the scenes when she's recording the album and she sits there and she tells you all about why she chose this album. And she's like, oh, I'm all into the storytelling. And for me, that's always interesting because I'm, you know, into telling stories as well, just not in a musical sense. But, you know, she said, they have to tell a story. She's like, I don't want to just get up there and sing, you know, like modern country songs that are not about anything about, I mean, they just are random. And she said, they have to tell a story. And you listen to our albums and they, you go, they take you through the, the works. I mean, they, you can, happy you know scandalous whatever it's just crazy reba's like it and she does she tells you she's like i don't you know i don't i'm not the type of person who can write the music and all that but you know i know what a good story when i come across one i mean there, there's so many classic good reba songs but i think like when you think about storytelling and her music like the i mean i think the one that pops to everyone's mind or maybe maybe i'm just being too presumptive uh the night's the light when uh the night the lights went out in georgia Mm-hmm. That I and mean, fancy. And fancy, yeah. And like I remember it must have been IP IPCPR maybe 2018 or 2019. I remember half the team had to go off to like a Davidoff, you know, like black tie event. And I was like, well, I'll just go over here by myself and find something to do. And I ended up at the Brooks and Dunn and Reba at the Coliseum <laughs> at Caesars Palace. Oh, uh, and you know, great tickets like down on the floor, and I was just like down there with everybody, and and I just remember her coming out, and the whole show, like everybody was like, "Oh, is she gonna sing that fancy song? Is she gonna sing fancy? Is she gonna sing fancy?" And she didn't like the whole time, and then it was like at the end, and and I mean, she made you cry the whole, you know, out the, the whole concert. She was like, make you cry, she make you laugh, and then like the the lights went out, and you're like, oh, and everybody's like, I guess that's it. She's not gonna sing fancy. And then she came out in a red dress and everybody was like, oh my gosh. It was like, you just got goosebumps just from like that moment, like the spotlight hitting her. And like, when you get to hear that song like live and see her do her little thing and rip off the dress, you know, the, it's a long dress she comes out in and she rips it off and it's like a little short dress to go along with the song. I mean, it's like a whole, to me, it's like a whole moment. Like after that, you gotta love, you, I mean, you gotta love Reba after that. But it's, it's the same thing for like Dolly Parton because I've been to a, a Dolly Parton. I was like the only black person, I think, at that concert. <laughs> and I remember and and people were like, I was sitting next to this, I think this brother and sister from like West Virginia. And they were like, so what are you doing here? And I was like, well, I'm here to see Dolly. And they're like, oh, you are? They're like, you like, I was like, yeah, I was like, I'm a Dolly fan. And I mean, that concert's probably like one of my favorite ever. I mean, she she did everything. She played her different instruments. She sang you know, she made jokes about her breasts. You know, she rapped. <laughs> I mean, it was like, I mean, it, it's like you got Dolly. I mean, her and Reba, like I said, are like, a, like two of the best performers, in my opinion. 
like, you know, I, I really hope that I get to see uh, Ariba in concert that, that I have. And I've seen a lot of, I grew up, I grew up, I mean, I have an eclectic uh, variety of, uh, in taste in music, just like you do. Um, I'm not as big of a music consumer. And I, I admit this all the time. I'm not as big of a music consumer as a lot of people that I know uh, in this industry in particular, my uh, partner on, on Scar Coop primetime uh, special edition Coop's a big music consumer has been since he was younger um and um and but i i mean country music is is what i grew up on so like when when i heard you liked reba i was like oh man that just takes me back because i just think about all those songs that my father and i used to listen to and um it, is it you know we kind of been just mouthing for a couple minutes but i mean like you know is it do you do you tend to like or is it just because we're the, the conversation i brought up reba uh, do you tend to like female artists more than male or or is it or is yeah. that as varied as well no, you know what? It's 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 usually more female. I found for whatever reasons. Like I guess I just relate to their songs for for whatever reason a little bit more, or, or like their attitude. It's like the male artists kind of stay the same. I found like they they're pretty static. Like you're gonna get like a George Strait character. He's gonna he's the same now as he probably was you know years ago when he started. Like but like. Uh, a female artist though like they i think because of the ageism and stuff like that they constantly have to change and if they don't change then they're just they're forgotten and they're like that's like a madonna type she's every album is like changing like she's come you know she ditches whatever persona that she creates for that album and she ditches it she completely comes up with something completely new and even if you don't like her you're still talking about it in some way whether you're saying like oh that looks stupid or wow, you know, that's really cool. And, you know, she has an attitude and she completely, she just adapts. <laughs> it's, it's weird. And I feel like that's always a good like, life lesson because you always kind of have to, you know, adapt in some way to whatever situation you're in in order to stay relevant, uh, even in this industry. So I want, you to, I want you to do me a favor and take me to school on this because I'm, I'm glad you brought up Madonna. Okay, so I want you to take me to school a little bit here. Okay, I listen. What I'm about to say is gonna was gonna piss some people off, but I, I want to preface it by saying I recognize that M Madonna is an icon. Okay, the, period. Like, there's no buts to this. Um, however, I was trying to think in the last 20 years, and th again, this goes back to my music consumership, consumership, and I want that's why I want you to take me to school here, Antoine. I I really can't think of you know, outside like the early nineties and stuff, I can't really, I couldn't think of anything off the top of my head that she really did. I know. And I know their stuff. Like you said, she's turning out albums and maybe it's just, nothing's really struck a chord with me. It never, none of it really hit me. What, what, what's kind of been in the post eighties Madonna that where she became the icon that the world knows her as like, what are some of your favorites in, I, I guess the last couple decades? Oh, the, the modern Madonna. Um, I, I think, well, I think the album that, that, that I think people started to kind of really like turn off was American Life. It was during the early G.W. Bush years, as I, I can always tell you Madonna based on like what president, because she always has a different, <laughs> different reaction to every president and all the political situations. So that's when people, I think, started turning off from her, but that's when I first started really kind of coming on board. Um, that was a very weird album. It was not pop and it wasn't anything. It was kind of folksy. It was like electro folksy. 
Um, so American Life was like a, a weird, weird album that nobody liked at the time. But nowadays, like I, I was on the internet somewhere a couple of days ago and people were like, oh, that American Life album like kind of held up. It's kind of good. And we're, and you know, diehard fans are like, yeah, that's what we're telling you. But there's like music, music Madonna, like the album music, like that was also like kind of like peak Madonna. Um, since then, I mean, she's, you know, she got married and, and when she was with Guy Ritchie, she had like a, a she was trying to be very uh, buttoned up and a completely different person, which didn't really <laughs> match, uh, you know, her thing. And then she got divorced and then she had like a very angry album and a very angry tour where she was just like very militant and in your face. And so like Taylor know. Swift, but all but only one album as opposed to all of them. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not a knock. The, I like Taylor. No. She's got some she's got some catchy stuff. So and that was the um, M MDNA album. So she was kind of trying to be hip and cool, you know, like play off the club drug, the MDMA and, and stuff like that. You know, people didn't really buy into that either. Um, and then you have like the latest. Oh, and you have Rebel Heart. And then you have like her latest era, which is like been stretched out because of COVID again, which is the, the Madam X era where she when she went on tour, this was pre-COVID. I mean, she was like, I'm not going to do stadium tours anymore. I'm just, or not for this album. I'm going to do intimate theater tours. And, and her management was like, why? Like you could sell out a, a stadium. And she's like, I don't want to. I just want to do an intimate theater tour. I'm and Madonna. Was, I can do what I want. <laughs> yes. And it was such a strange tour. I remember going to like the, at the um, opera house in, in Brooklyn to see her and you had to give up your phone you couldn't have your phone during the whole concert. So they gave you like a little pouch that you could lock it into. It didn't open unless you were outside of the, the whole place. So oh, no, wow. phone, no phone, no recording devices. No, you couldn't even have your Apple watch. You had to lock that up too. And she was late. And that's, that's the thing about a Madonna concert. It, whatever it says on the ticket does not matter. It starts when she wants to start it. Right. <laughs> so she, it said eight o'clock and she started it at midnight. And that was like, I mean, you know, you, you have to pay the labor and all that. It's Madonna. She's going to do whatever she wants to do. And it was just like a long night just because you were just like sitting there. You didn't have any, any phone to look at, you know, as you're sitting there in your seat, you didn't have any, you know, your watch, you were just con completely disconnected, sitting there like just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and it was just strange but that was like i mean i've been to to now like two of her concerts and it's been the, the same way she was in charlotte she came out again at midnight and she wanted to come out at midnight and then she was just like everybody stand up get up you got to stand up no sitting down at the show and people are like it's midnight it's just like doesn't matter stand up stand up <laughs> so that's you you get what you get yeah, and most of I mean most of I guess people who followed her over the years I mean are get they're getting on up there. So I mean midnight's well past well past the well, yeah. midnight's past my bedtime most nights. So right, uh, not really, um, not not really fair there. I, I'm getting yelled at in the chat here. Apparently, confessions uh, uh, on a dance floor in 2006. Confessions also. on a dance floor was probably her most successful commercial. So I did forget that one, but that that was like when you listen to that album, you're just like, oh my gosh, like this is like peak madonna it was like 80s and and pop and like the disco stuff going on and the whole era that you know she dyed her hair like red or this 
kind of weird blonde color. You know, she was dancing in the studio in her leotard and the pink leotard. And that was just like the whole, the whole moment. So that, that is that Madonna. So she's had moments. It's just like, they're, they're kind of different moments. They're not like the, the eighties, you know, where she kind of, I guess, hell court, you know, now she's kind of having to keep up with uh, some of the other younger acts, which, you know, I mean, the, the other day, I think she, she was, she did a cameo in Snoop Dogg's video, you know, and he was, you know, he had a lyric about passing a blunt to Madonna and there she was, and, you know, smoking a blunt, <laughs> <laughs> dancing around. So, so that's, that's kind of what you get right now. You know, it's, it's interesting as, 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 and I'm not, I'm, I'm 37, I'm not old, but it's interesting as I do get older, how I see the people that I watched and listened to as they're getting older. And it just, it's kind of, it's kind of bizarre. They're all, in my mind, they're always like the, the heartthrob that they were, you know, in their mid twenties or thirties. And, and, you know, now they're, you know, hitting 60 years old. It's just bizarre. Yeah. Just, I feel but, like that about, about Britney Spears. I'm like, oh, Britney's still cool. And it's like, well, she's like 40. It's like, she's not going to dance around like she used to. And she's not going to dance or do anything, period, now <laughs> because of her conservatorship. So it's just like, oh, maybe one day we'll get back to, to peak Britney. <laughs> I would like to hear Christina, because Christina Aguilera to me and Quinn Stefani, they both, I think, have two of some of the most diverse ranges in terms of singing ability. So I think those would be well, a fun show as well. Christina concerts are, are good. I mean, I went to the Bat to Basics years ago and I know she's working on two albums now. So maybe we'll actually get a tour, a tour out of it. We never got a tour for like the last two or three albums from Christina Aguilera. She kept saying, it's going to come. Don't worry. And then it was like, it's been years. So, um, and the Gwen Stefani concert is like fun. I've been to, I think I've been to at least one. And I remember it just being like, anything you would imagine a Gwen Stefani concert being. I mean, her out in the in the middle of the, the audience singing four in the morning, you know, and, and Sweet Escape and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of peak pop as well. Awesome. We're, we're going to get more into pop as this, com- as this conversation gets deeper a little bit. But uh, I, I did want to go into tonight's major point along with that. And you brought up a good point that kind of, kind of segues this perfectly. Uh, your experience at the Dolly Parton com- uh, concert. Uh, and tonight's major point is always brought to you by uh, Barracoa Cigars. Barracoa's back. The voyage has relaunched. Can't wait. I personally couldn't wait for this cigar to get back to us. It's been over three years since the original was revamped. The blend's coming from one of the hottest new factories in the industry. Danny Vasquez promises if you like the original blend, you're absolutely going to love the relaunch. Um, it was actually relaunched last month um, at Sun Cigars, but he is obviously uh, bringing more and more retailers into it. So stay tuned for more details. Check out the Facebook page, Instagram, a couple of other socials, Barracoa Cigars. And remember, never settle, Barracoa Cigar Company. Um, so Antoine, so you mentioned your experience with uh, the Dolly Parton concert where you were the, in your words, the only black person in the audience. Uh, the reason I said that segues into our next topic, interestingly enough, because uh, you, you, penned a, you penned a piece recently uh, within the last year that I, I mean, I thought was pretty insightful um, because, and, and, and we talked about this beforehand, it, um, the, the, uh, the article was about black owned cigar uh, companies. And um, I thought it was a really insightful piece because as I mentioned before the show, I said, Hey, was there a reason uh, that Dean Parsons wasn't on the list with Epic cigars? And I said, I know you probably got this commentary 
you know, hey, why wasn't this person on? Why was it's always whenever you make a list that always yeah, happens. Of course. Um, but I thought you had a really interesting take on this. You said, well, like it, 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 it you know, for as long as time could remember, it was Dean, and then, you know, X, Y, and Z after that. So, right. so I, so I thought it was a really great article because it brought a lot of brands to, you know, up that either a people hadn't heard of or b you know. It, they just hadn't, they hadn't gotten the notoriety yet. So I thought it was a great opportunity. Um, you know, but you caught some flack for this on both kind of both sides of the aisle a little bit for a number of different reasons. Uh, talk about your experience of putting that list together and the fallout seems dramatic, but the fallout of it. Well, it was, you know, it came out, I think right around the time of the George Floyd episode um, incident and you know, in the news, like you would turn on the news afterwards. Um, now, did you pen it before, though? Did you write no, it before? No, it came after. Okay. It came you... after George Floyd. Okay. So a lot, there's a lot of focus on, like, Black-owned businesses all of a sudden. And I was thinking, I was like, well, even in the cigar industry, we don't focus on that. And I was like, and then somebody tagged me in an Instagram post where they listed out all these Black-owned businesses. And I was going through the list, and there's, like, most of them, I was like, I've never heard of these companies before. And I think as a media person, sometimes you think, well, I've never heard of them before, so they must not be as important. And then I thought, but maybe it is that they're important, that, but they just haven't gotten the same opportunity as, you know, some of the other companies. So as I started doing my research, I was like, these are some pretty, you know, companies that have been out there for a while and they've, you know, gotten some decent ratings in, in different places and some good press outside of the industry usually. Um, and so I just like put together this, like what I felt like was just like a, a it wasn't like the end all of, of end all list for, you know, black. It was like, I think I said it in the thing, like this is just a sampling of some of the companies, you know, for those who were interested. And it got like 11,000 page views, which was a lot. I mean, at least for that, the website that I wrote it for, which was cigarsandleisure.com. Um, and I didn't think anything of it. And just seeing like the comments that came through because I think people don't always know because it doesn't like when we send out an email blast for cigars and leisure or tobacco business, like it doesn't say like this is coming from Antoine Reed, but I'm the one who usually works on these emails. So I have all like the little bounce back stuff coming to me and I'll sit there looking at the, the messages coming in. And it was like a little bit all over the place. I mean, I would say there was more positive than negative. But of course, when you were when you were faced with negative stuff, you always look and you're those stand out more, more to you than anything so it was just like i mean i don't even need, need to get into like what the comments said and all that but it was just like really like is this good is this bad it's like what's the deal like but then i you know a couple days passed and people got over it and i was just like well okay i got other stuff to do so i kind of just was like charged on but from that point on i said you know obviously i think we need to do more coverage on minorities in the industry and so I was like, I, you know, for the tobacco business, especially, I said, I feel like, you know, people read the magazine, people read the emails, they look at the website, you know, there's no harm in us doing more coverage on, again, minority owned businesses within the industry. And that's what we've been doing more of, or I should say, I've been doing, bringing kind of to the forefront uh, in the last year or so. Well, what, what I, one of the things that I absolutely love in the, about the cigar industry, and, I, and there's a lot that I love, and I've talked about it on the show numerous times, but, you know, is the fact that, you know, I mean, this is a minority 
dominated and driven industry, you know, for, um, for the most part. I mean, it is, it is male dominated at the top, but women pay a, play a very important role in cigar production and, 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 and in ownership and, and along the way, I mean, they have their fat. In fact, I mentioned this on a previous show with Amanda McAuliffe, but you know, they're, they're, they're segmented in all different parts of, of, of manufacturing, retail ownership, um, you know, even on the, uh, the media side there, we've seen a, we've seen a, a push uh, with a lot of different women entering in that array, uh, excuse me, that arena rather. And, uh, and so I, I think, I, I think it's actually pretty well representative and, and I've heard you had similar feelings. I mean, there's certainly criticisms, um, as well, but I've, you know, I've heard you say that you've had similar feelings as well about the industry being as diverse as it is. Yeah. And I think the industry is a lot more diverse than people think it is. I think it's what the issue sometimes is, is that those minorities don't always get a voice or they're not always um, featured or put in a spotlight. Um, Cause I know a lot of minorities in the, in the media side, for example, um, but they all don't, they're all are not on the same level as everybody else. So I don't know, it, you know, some of it's just opportunity. Some of it's, you know, just kind of learning how to promote yourself and how to brand yourself. Um, it's a little bit off of, for various reasons, but this is a very diverse industry. So I always try to portray it as, you know, as I experience it, which is being a lot more diverse and not just, you know, it's not just owned by a couple of people, you know, brand owners. It's kind of a, a group effort a lot of the times and a lot of these uh, companies. You know, I, I know you didn't want to dive terribly too much into the negative, but I thought one of the interesting things, and I heard you talk about in an interview um, with Carl uh, for Cigarnivore, mm -hmm. how you, some of the commentary, unfortunately, was, uh, I guess, under the impression that maybe you weren't black. Well, I don't think people know. I mean, because like there's no there's no picture of me like I know some websites, for example, like when you, you know, write a post or whatever, you put your picture down there and says like this is Antoine or whatever. There's none of that about because I never think that it, it needs to be about me. So it's always says like this is from tobacco business or this is from cigars and leisure. So some of these people who are writing the comments, I don't think they, I mean, my name was on there, but, and they right. could have Googled it, but I don't think Yeah, they, it's very small. It's a story right. by Antoine Reed. That's, I mean, that's it. Yeah. Right. I mean, and it's not like the, it's, it's not like the first thing you read. It's kind of like buried underneath. Oh yeah. For, for a reason. Cause you don't, I mean, it's not about me or, or whoever the writer is. It's about the story. And then you get down there and you can see who, who wrote it. So some of the people, I mean, I met, my name was on it, so they could have looked it up, but they were, you know, some of the comments were, and I told Carl this, you know, it was all over the place from like, this is a very diverse industry. You know, you're just, you're being racist. We're just focusing on, you know, focus on the race. And then I was like, I was like, okay. And then like, you know, there's confusing comments about like um, some person, what did they say? They said something to the effect of, um, you know, you're being racist by focusing on the race. You know, this person was like a criminal and they got, you know, and basically they had it come into them and yet, you know, you're trying to make this about race. And I was like, what are you trying to say? So I was like, I was like reading these comments come in, you know, <laughs> sitting here at my computer, like scrolling through these comments and like, you know, you know, this like, like, what, what is this, you know, where are we going at? But there are more people, like I said, and I, I've reached out to a few people and said, you know, I'm getting these comments. Like, what do you think? And they're like, well, you should focus on the, the positive rather than the negative. And, the, you know, it was a lot of good that came out of that, 
that article and it still like gets a lot of traction even today. Um, so I was just like, yeah, I guess I should. I was like, it's just hard sometimes when you like write something intending to be good or, you know, intending it to do some good. And you're like, oh, people took it in a completely weird, you know, negative manner. <laughs> didn't, didn't see that coming. Well, but I'm glad I didn't see it because I would have quite said, oh, maybe I shouldn't do it, you know, do an article about this. But it's like now I'm like, it was good to do it. Yeah, well, you know what this the age old saying about good intentions, you know. But I mean, like, yeah, like I mean, let, let's I mean, you you're known, and we're gonna get into a few of those features that you do. You're known for these uh these well, well done features of of people in the industry. And uh, uh this certainly wasn't one of those articles. It was just a really nice piece and a nice list of you know, some yeah, companies it was like, to it's check like, out. It was like five companies, five yeah. companies to check, you know, five black owned companies to check out. And it was just like like, in, I think it said, like, these are not all the companies, of course, in the industry, but these are just five you might want to check out for whatever reason. And then, like, a little write-up about about the company wasn't, like, even more than, like, a paragraph on each company. And it was like, here's their website if you want to, you know, find out more. And then it was like, <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> uh, yeah, sometimes people astound me. I really do. It's, it, 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 it's like they, they just look for... They just look for negativity. It it's, it just blows my mind some days. It really does. Yeah. Uh, but we we touched on women though, and like the one of the three companies that you you mentioned was uh, uh, Tres Lindas Cubanas, right? Which is owned by uh, twin sisters. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're first generation uh, Cuban Americans. Um, uh, Yvonne and Yvette Rodriguez, if mis- if I'm not mistaken, and uh, and but uh, we we mentioned women being in the industry. In, in, in the time that you've been in it and, and writing features and, and, and doing design work and everything, have, you, have women kind of become more into the spotlight? Has it stayed about the same or has it depleted and I'm just completely off? Uh, no, I think they, I think they're finally starting to be seen as more than just sex objects. And I say that as to like when I came into the industry in 2010, the only time you really heard about a woman or saw a woman in the industry was like in an advertisement that was, I think nowadays will be seen as completely sexist. You know, they were just sex objects, you know, and props, you know, they would just be sitting there holding up cigars and, and, and nothing more. And then it was like, I was like, oh, I guess, you know, no women really like to smoke cigars and stuff. And then as you get more into the industry and you go out to these events, like Rocky Mountain Cigar Festival or even IPCR, PCA, whatever they want to call it, and TPE and stuff, you see that there's a whole bunch of women who are, you know, business owners, you know, they are brand owners, they are marketers, and they smoke cigars, they smoke, they, you know, they, they handle the tobacco products, they make the the cigars, you realize that this is as much as of a woman's industry as it is a man's industry. No, I, I completely agree. And I think that that's something that kind of gets lost, like I said, in a lot of people's perception of the industry, because uh, the, the industry itself, like all the way from, you know, to the seed to the shelf, you know, there's a large number of women are involved in, in this industry to say nothing of consumers themselves. So I, you know, I, and I'm glad that, it, you know, like you said, it's, it's changed, you know, we're talking about 11 years ago, 11 Fine. years ago. You know, this was the quote, you know, you didn't use these words. I'm using the words, but this was the woman's place in the industry. Right. Right. Um, but that's changed considerably in a decade. And I think that's I think that's I think that's impressive. Uh, sure, certainly a long way to go. 
uh, one could argue, and and I don't necessarily disagree with that point, but I, I think it's it's great to see uh, more women uh, owned, you know, coming to the forefront with, you know, women have always owned retail shops. They're just mm-hmm. becoming more well-known. Um, I'm really liking that more women are in, getting involved with media. You know, it's not just Delicia, who does an incredible job. Exactly. Um, um, and, and then these, and then business owners, like, you know, to say that, you know, we're talking about them being black, but also, you know, two women, you know, sisters. I mean, I mean, this is a family owned centric business. I mean, how, how much more better can you get than two sisters starting a company? I think that's pretty awesome. Exactly. So it, it is getting better, I think. And I think more people are like, oh, women are involved. Like maybe we should do stories and coverage and, you know, focus on that. And it's like, yeah, you should. It's like, let's tell their stories. Let's get their, you know, I think the more stories and coverage that gets out there about women and what they're doing, you know, the decisions that they help make, the products that they help create, then the better. Then you kind of see like, oh, you know, it's, it's just like any other industry. It's like they're, you know, they, they take part in on all areas of it, from the retail to the uh, manufacturing side to the consumer side. And I, I totally agree. And this is kind of what I meant by when, when I did my introduction and I was kind of, I, I kind of said tongue in cheek, I said, you and I are either going to be best friends at the end of this or bitter rivals. And the reason I, what I meant by that was is to this point, this next point that I was going to make. And one of the reasons I was excited to have you on tonight, Antoine, and, and I wanted my audience to be aware of this. Uh, I mean, outside of some DMs, you and I have never conversed or met. Right. Um, so but the, one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on the show and I find you absolutely interesting is uh, you and I have a like mind in a lot of ways um, because um, look, I nerd out on rapper binder filler like all day, every day. And I say that all the time, but that's not the show. My show, I want to talk to people about their story and even the story behind their story that made their story relevant. And that's kind of, that's kind of the focus of the show. And, and, and that's what I love about your work. You do the same thing. I try to. I always try to get that, like you said, the story. Because I feel like anybody can type in rapper binder filler. You can go to any retail's website and find out that information about a cigar. But do you really buy a cigar just based on that information? Or do you buy it based on like sometimes like the personality or the people behind that cigar? And to me, if I know a person a little bit more, their story or like the struggle that they, they had to bring this cigar to market or, you know, the significance of the cigar to them, like, you know, beyond just like I said, the, the material that goes into it, then I feel like more connected to that person and that product. And I want to, you know, give them my business and I want to give them, you know, the time and, and, and everything that goes into just like trying that brand. And that's always been my contribution to the industry, I feel, is like to go beyond the rapper binder filler, which is what I started out writing about. And then I was like, this is so boring. Like, how can people, like, I, I was like, how do people find this interesting? And I was like, I just got to do something else. So it was always about finding the, the better story outside of just, you know, the basics. Well, I think there's a place for that. And, you know, please don't mistake me, Antoine. I'm not trying to. this may sound derogatory and I'm not trying to be, but like, that's not your bag. Like, no, it's not. (laughs) And like, but you, I mean, I was trying to think of a way to describe you 
earlier this week when I was when I was thinking about tonight's show and I was thinking about like, well, you're a storyteller first and a cigar smoker, probably not even second. You're probably a cigar smoker 10, right? Like in yeah. terms of um, but what I really appreciate about your work is, again, you know, like Cigar Aficionado, let's take them, for example. They do features on celebrities who happen to smoke cigars and even then not not necessarily at all. Right. But it's right. an entertainment and a lifestyle magazine. And they do great features, great articles uh, and pieces on these celebrities. Well, you you do it on the people that we want to know about, you know, the, the cigar nerd audience, you know. Right. Um, and I, that's what I really appreciate about it is it's a deeper dive into the lives and the people that I want to know about. Like, I want to know why, um, you know, why Matt Booth is Matt Booth. I mean, that's a that's a saga in itself, you know, <laughs> but. Or like you might want to know, for example, like Ernesto Perez Carrillo. Like loved your deep cuts with him, by the way. That was great. Right. Oh, thank you. Like, like here's this guy who's won all these like number one cigars, but like, do you really know his story? Like, you have to kind of go into a deep dive on the internet just to get kind of like the basics, and even then, you don't get his personality. So that's always like what I try to do. I'm, I always feel like I, you know, there's a part of me that says. People already know the story. They know these people. But then I say, though, there's probably people who don't really know the, the story, like who, who never, you know, go that deep. And some of these people have never been asked these questions in a, uh, in a long time, maybe, if ever. Um, you know, and I was speaking to Ernesto. You saw the deep cuts, but I've done like a follow up since then. Um, and I was just like, you know, what was your first time smoking a cigar like? And that's something that you, I don't think you, you can't really do a deep dive on the internet and find. And this is like a, a weird, cause I want to always, I'm curious, like, how did you win it? Was it, was it like love at first sight or was it not love at first sight? And usually for a lot of these people I found was like the first time was like not a great experience. And then they kind of had to like, they got out of it and then they kind of came back in at a different angle and then completely fell in love with it. And like, you know, I won't tell you the story that he told me about, what it is but his was not like you think of the Ernesto now it was not like that experience that first experience which was like really funny and that will be a part of a story that's coming up but um yeah I always feel like there's a lot more to people's stories than than what we know and than what we're told but um you know I wish there was more of that on the front cover of magazines it's, it's always weird to me that there's so many magazines that are just like celebrity fronted and you're like, how many stories do I need on the rock? Um, you know, or, <laughs> or how many James Bond stories do we, do we really need anymore about, you know, Sean Connery rest his soul, you know, and his love of cigars or whatever. Like there are some celebrities in the industry that never get a moment on the cover you know, they get a number one cigar, but you don't, you don't know, you don't know them still. You don't know what was their inspiration behind this, you know, cigar. Did they just like make the cigar thinking it was going to be number one? You know, what was the, the process? So that's always my angle. I'm like, okay, I think there are tons of people who have the celebrity angle completely covered. I don't need to, we don't need to go out and, and get, you know, the celebrity for our cover. We can pull from the industry and find, you know, plenty of people who are, cover worthy or have like very interesting stories and uh putting them front and center yeah i mean there's there, i mean that's what i love about this that there it's a it's a constant 
it's a constant storytelling experience. This entire industry always is. It's it's mm-hmm. terrific. I love it. The um we're we're gonna get into a couple of the pieces that you have done recently here in a few moments, but um you know to kind of take it back to to your story um a little bit. You know, let's. I mean, I wanted to take a little gander back in in, in how you kind of got into this and. You know, your background is graphic design and you've always had a, uh, you know, an affinity for art as well mm-hmm. as music. We talked about your love of music earlier, but, um, you know, so you went to college, you went to University of Miami for a year, but then you transferred back home, so to speak, at uh, UNC Chapel Hill. Right. Um, and I, I, I heard a story uh, recently about... Um, your first meeting with your guy, your new guidance counselor at Chapel Hill. Mm-hmm. And uh, because you, you know, you were a sophomore and you still hadn't declared a major and they asked you to declare a major. Uh, and you're like, well, I love art. And I, I heard this quote. And so if I'm misrepresenting you, please correct me. But you're like, I love art, but I want to make money. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I was like, I, cause for me, I, I don't know if a lot of people know, but like I went to an art magnet school. So magnet school completely focusing on the arts. And I went there from 1995 until, you know, for, so from sixth grade up until 12th grade, nothing but art, 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 art. So when I got out of that, I was like, I don't want to do something completely different. I want to do psychology. I went to UM thinking that I was going to be the psychology major. Then I found out how much science and math was involved in that. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to do that. There's just not, I just can't do it. And so when I transferred to UNC Chapel Hill, I was sitting there with the advisor and she said, you have to declare a major. And I'll say, okay. And as you said, she said, you know, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, I don't know yet. And she was like, well, what do you like? And I was like, well, I like art, but I obviously want to make money when I get out of here. I don't want to like art degree. What can I do with that? Um, you know, I had talked to my mom about being a teacher and she had told me no, because she was a teacher. And she was like, you just won't know. Don't do, don't do teaching. So I was like, oh, I was like, well, what else is there to do? And so the advisor, she was like, well, you know, why don't you do graphic design? And I was like, I had never heard of graphic design. I was like, what is it? She kind of told me a, like a, a, a just like, it's, you know, it's like computer art and, you know, you work with magazines and newspapers and you can create brochures and stuff like that. And I was like, I guess so. I was like, that's, that sounds like decent. I guess I could do that. And she was like, you know, there's a art a graphic design track at the art school and there's a, graphic design track at the journalism school <clears throat> and, and maybe you should go through the journalism school she's like it's a little bit harder it's a process you just don't go you know you just don't you can get in but you have to like pass all these tests to get your degree and I was like whatever let's just do that and I was like it sounds good <laughs> it sounds good enough and and that's what I, I did and so like the graphic design part of the program was really only a couple courses like it was like how to do a newspaper design in illustrator and then once you get out of school, you realize you never use Illustrator to do a newspaper design. You use InDesign. So it was like half the stuff I learned, you know, in there was like not useful course wise, but the journalism part of it, like re- reporting and media law and like all these other courses, just like, like kind of built up that writing part that I never thought I would ever use. Um, and then when I got out of college, I, I basically used the graphic design part that I learned. And I had like a very great internship. And uh, it was this company that doesn't exist anymore. But uh, 
So I went to school in the, in the age of Napster <laughs> and there was this company that was trying to be like, <laughs> it was trying to be like a legit Napster. That was their whole business model. They were going to be a legit Napster. They're going to be like file sharing and stuff like that. And they were based up in um, Herndon, Virginia. So for a whole month, I went to work in their office and it was just like, I mean, the, the art director there, he never smiled, never said good job or anything like that. Really. He, he was like, he would just walk in, he would just kind of look at you and just like have like this disgust, you know, like uh, interns or whatever. And he would make us like learn like strict things that we would never think we would ever like really apply elsewhere. Like he was like, Oh, you need to cut out these name tags. And we're like, okay. He was like, but you can't use scissors. You have to use an exacto knife. And you know, we're like, what? <laughs> and then it's like, we were sitting there like, you know, with a, with a, like a little ruler and an exacto knife and try to cut out all these like name tags. And he would hold them up to the light. And he would say, oh, it's jagged, print it out and start over again. That was like the internship. And it was like the whole, uh, like basically a whole summer of that. So it, it made me very nitpicky about things. Cause I was like, I always have like PSD, you know, kind of, um, or PTSD kind of worried about like, oh my gosh, like flashbacks of this internship. Um, so I became like a, a decent graphic designer. And it wasn't until, like I said, we kind of, um, started working on cigars and leisure, like this idea for it. Uh, somebody else at the company was, you know, kind of brought this idea and said, you know, can we create our own magazine? And I was like, what do you mean? Like create our own magazine? He was like, well, can we just create it? And I was like, like, you mean like everything, like, like a full blown magazine? And he's like, yeah, I was like, nobody at this company is going to stop to take time out, you know, from the other magazines that we were doing to create our own magazine. I was like, so if you want to create it, we had to create all the different parts of it ourselves. Like we had to write it ourselves. We have to like do the design ourselves, do a mock-up, you know, get the people, advertisers to buy into it before we even like present it to the company. And that's what we did. We, you know, we started in October of, I think maybe 2014 or so. And it wasn't until spring. So like maybe April, March, April, that 2015 that we presented it to the company. And by that time we had a mock-up, we had presented it to different advertisers so we got like, you know, a little bit of money behind it. So it was like a no brainer for the company. It was just like, yeah, let's, well, you're just handing us money. I guess let's do it, you know? <laughs> and, and that's how I got into it. And they were, and they were flipping through it and they were like, and I think they thought it was going to be like dummy copy, you know, like the Latin copy that just says nothing that just filled the pages. And they were like flipping through it and they go, Oh, this looks like a natural story. Like, like who wrote it? And I was like, well, I wrote it. And they were like, Oh, you wrote it. It was like, cause I was at the time, I was just like the graphic designer. I wasn't like they known as the writer or editor read as people might know me for Instagram. So it was like this whole process. And, and that's how this whole, I guess my, my current uh, adventures in cigar media kind of began really. Cause it was like, oh, I could do other stuff. I can write, you know? And they were like, oh, we never knew you wanted to be a writer. I was like, well, I never really knew I wanted to be a writer either. It was like, I guess, but I guess, I kind of, I kind of do. I kind of enjoy it because graphic design is very solitary. And I like that, you know, when you write a story, you have to kind of interact with somebody else or bring that story to life. So um, that was a long way to answer that question, but that's kind of been my arc uh, in getting from where I was in college to, to where I am today. Well, not to go back too far, though, Antoine, you, you had alluded to something, uh, you know, before we started talking tonight. Um, and so I wanted to see if you could 
talk to us about the story though, but you, you said your first foray into journalism was, was at UNC where you were having to take these courses and uh, you know, apparently uh, uh, you know, you ruffled some feathers. It sounds like uh, your first foray into journalism or am I reading too much into your comments earlier? No, I think I, you were right. Like when I, I think it was when I was, I was taking this media law course and it was taught by this very tough, tough woman. She was like a very short woman, elderly, but she was so tough. Like, she made us cry like in class, like she would just be just crack the whip on us. And she was all about media law. And she said, if ever you get in trouble for something that you write, just tell them what about, just ask the question, what about the first amendment? And so, you know, and she says that the first day of class and like several other times, I mean, you never think about it. So at the time I was, um, UNC had this thing where they were like, they're going to have substance free housing, which means, if you really didn't want to be around people who drank and stuff like that, then you could like sign up to be in this kind of substance free, you know, alcohol free, like smoke free, whatever housing. And at the time that was very appealing to me. Cause I was like, I was very quiet. I didn't want the whole party lifestyle thing. I was like, you know, just leave me alone in my room, you know, to watch golden girls and I was going to be fine. <laughs> um, so I signed up for it and I was like, I'm all for it. And, you know, and, uh, I guess at the time I thought maybe there'd be like a flood of people wanting to like do this. And there were, I mean, cause you got to, to, to be in like a nicer housing, like right near campus. So it was like a couple minute walk to everything on campus. And I get there and my roommate, I get the one roommate who's like, who's like not substance free. And I'm like, well, how did this happen? And like, he was, you know, you know, we had like the little mini college fridge that you're used to that doesn't, doesn't, fit anything more than like five drinks, you know, and a little bit of, you know, maybe one and a half shelves to put food in. He just like took it over, put beer in it and stuff like that. And I was like, well, what's going on here? You know, and, and he had, he, he I, I think he, like I said, I had classes during the day. So he would sleep during the day and then he would have classes at night and then want to sleep during the day. So it was like this weird setup and it was just so frustrating. And I remember going to the RA and like, look, this guy is like not substance free. And this is substance free housing. I don't want to complain, but that's what we signed up for. And he was like, Oh, no, the guy's like, I know the guy. He's a friend of mine. He's like the best guy ever. You'll be fine. And I was like, No, you don't understand. So <laughs> I was like, you don't understand. I was like, this is not what we signed up for. So my first foray into journalism was to write this, you know, Nobody would will listen to me. I would go to everybody and say, you know, what's going on? You know, like I said, nobody's listening to me. This guy's horrible. Like, you know, he's he, he tries to keep me up at night, you know, because he is just like weird. And so I started writing this blog. That's like, when, you know, I think it was like blogosphere back then. And I start every night. I was just sitting there like it'll be like Carrie from Sets in the City, except I'll be writing about my roommate. And I just kept this blog every single day. And I'll just like write what horrible things I felt like he was doing. And like, I just kept him running along. So when the RA didn't help me, I added him to the blog too. So I would like write, you know, oh, I, I went to the RA today, you know, complaining, he didn't do anything, whatever, whatever. So one day I walk in and they say, you know, um, we need to see you. And I was like, oh, okay. And I like I come in for class. So I was like, okay. And I sit down and they, they, plot this big stack of paper in front of me and they're like this is your blog and you've written about you know your roommate and you've made him very uncomfortable 
And I'm like, wait, I made this guy uncomfortable. Like the guy, the, the non-substance free guy in substance free housing, like uncomfortable. And they're like, <laughs> yes, you've made him very uncomfortable. And you've made him cry. I was like, the guy doesn't cry. I was like, I've seen, it. I was like, he's never cried one. I was like, I've cried more than this guy has cried. <laughs> and so they, they start going on this thing about like you violated the housing code. You've made him cry. Oh my gosh. How old are we, man? <laughs> yeah. Like you made this guy cry. And, I, and this is like, uh, this is like sophomore. This not, no, this is like junior year. So it's like, we're almost done with college. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like this guy. And I'm like, I was like, what do I do? So I just remember the class thing. So they kept kicking me up a level. So they're like, you got to go talk to this person because you violated the housing thing. You might not, you know, you might have to get out of this housing thing. Or, and I was like, well, can I just like get a better roommate or something? Like switch in with somebody who like, you know, does, you know, drinks and then they'll be fine. And I was like, give me somebody who doesn't, didn't want to do it. So they sent me in front of like the, the housing manager, just, kind of portly big woman who's going to be imposing and say, Oh, you violated the housing code. What do you have to say for yourself? And I was like, well, what about my first right, right amendment? Don't I have a right to say what I want to say? You all are trying to take away that right. So they exiled me from the good part of campus to the farthest reaches, like the, the, like it would take you 20 or 30 minutes to walk from that part of campus to where we were. And that was, <laughs> and they, they put me in a room by myself, which was fine. That was like awesome. Cause I was like, this is like the lie. Cause and I was like, Am I going to get a roommate? Is it going to be any, even worse? Because I had horrible roommates throughout college. Like, there's only like one roommate that was decent. Um, and so it, this, was, this wasn't anything new to me. So they sent me to this room and I was like, well, how is this room empty? And it's like, oh, the two people who lived here before got into a fight and one of them got thrown through the window or something like that. And so the room, <laughs> oh my gosh. The, the room is, is free now and you're just going to be here by yourself for a while. And I was like, that's fine. And that was... After that, I just started living off campus. But that was my first foray into like, I guess, doing expose journalism where you just like <laughs> just blast everybody. And I, I came up with, with code names for them anyway. So it was, oh, like, it was anonymous. You didn't even name names. I didn't even put their names. I just like, came up with like code names for it. So it's like like the, my roommate, I would call him Dorcas. And I was like, Dorcas this today did blah, 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 blah. And then the RA, you know, I mean, there's plenty of RAs on campus. So it's like, you know, choose which one you want to think it's about. And like, nobody read this blog. I mean, even back then, I was like looking at the analytics and I was like, oh, nobody's looking at it. And so it was weird. But that was always like my first, you know, crack of the whip into uh, journalism and First Amendment rights and stuff like that. So I was like, wow. So she was right. Every time you get in trouble, just say, what about my First Amendment right? And they just exile you to a different part of campus or just try to get rid of you. Unbelievable. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I have, I have some similar roommate tales. Um, nothing, uh, nothing that I, I, I should have kept a blog, I guess in some cases, but uh, <laughs> hindsight, like, being, hindsight you know, 2020. Like, yeah. Like one of my roommates and, and when I was at, I won't say what school, but I was at, during my years in college, I had one roommate who never had dealt with like a non-white person before. Like he was just fascinated that they were like black people and Hispanics and Latinos. And it was just like mind blowing. Like at first you thought he was joking. You're like, no, like this can't be true. Cause I mean, I was from the South. So it's like diversity is like everywhere. But this guy was like, never, never encountered, never thought of anything. So he was always, 
strange. So he would sit there and like look. He just he was just like turn around in his chair. It's like how would I say this in an ebonics so I can communicate to your people? And I was like, dude. I was like, I wouldn't even entertain it after a while. I will just be like, don't. I'm not gonna put up with it. I'm just gonna sit here and do my work and just ignore it. And he, it was just like so. Again, I was never like like having bad roommates just seemed like the thing. Like I always, I was like so excited to get a roommate because I always thought it was gonna be like TV. Because I think back then, you know, it was like 2002. So what was on TV, like Dawson's Creek and Felicity and all this stuff. And I was like, wow, they had so much fun with their roommates. I can't wait to get out and like 90210 and stuff like that. I was like, wow, I'm going to get out here and like uh, and Melrose Place and all that stuff. So I was like, all these shows had just gotten me thinking like roommates are going to be awesome. And like we're going to have all this fun. And that was definitely not what I got. So that's why to this day, I love like just living by myself <laughs> rather than dealing with people. I, uh, I just not to go back to again too far in the conversation, but I met, you mentioned Golden Girls, uh, being a fan of that show, and I, I, I watched a lot of Golden Girls too on syndication, and I, I thought it just I, I thought they were hilarious. Speaking of roommates, like I just mm-hmm. thought they were hilarious, and it was just a great show um, overall, and tackled a really uh, go like you know looking back in in retrospect, tackled a lot of interesting issues and 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 you know, discussion points and did it with, did it with such humor and did it with humor that was, you know, even at the time was dated. I mean, these were, you know, you know, elderly women and um, you know, to, to connect with someone like me who is, you know, 40 years, their junior uh, and the same thing with your case. I, uh, I was recently wa- uh, listening to an interview uh, of Anthony Mackie of Marvel universe. Uh, uh-huh. I'm sure you're familiar. He, he's a, like, a, like apparently obsessed with golden girls. <laughs> Upset, like obsessed, like and and uh, it was an interview. It was done by Justin Long. I don't know if you're familiar with the actor Justin Long. I am, um, and uh, he, it's on his podcast called Life Is Short. And uh, he had Anthony Mackie as a guest, and I mean, they were just talking for like minutes on end about about Golden Girls and how he just thought it was like the this, the best thing ever. He's like, oh yeah, I watch it every day, and I was like, every day. I was like, I I mean, I thought I was a pretty big fan of it, you know, but. I, what what was it about the show that connected with you? Like what, what I mean, who was which which one was yours? Which which one were you a Sophia guy or? You know, or? I think I think it's I think the older you get, like you you align yourself with like a, a different golden girl. Like you always want to be like hip and cool, like uh, Blanche. But right. then, like the older you get, you realize that you're probably more of a Dorothy, <laughs> like you know the sarc. <laughs> The sarcastic, you know, you know, not a lot going on in life sometimes. But, she was savage, man. She but, was yeah, but but you could like that put down. And sometimes like sometimes I get like that at work. Like I'll just say something to somebody in it and you know, in like a Dorothy tone, like, you know, like it doesn't sound like <laughs> it's it's a joke, but it's like it's kind of like you said, it's not a put down, but it's also not like a uplifting comment either. It's just like that sarcasm. Um <laughs> And then you always wanted to be kind of, you know, naive, like, like Rose and, and stuff like that. So to me, it's, it depends on like what age, you know, I guess every age, I feel like a different one right now. I'm definitely in a Dorothy, <laughs> a Dorothy stage of life. I think um, to be a fly on the wall for some of those jokes, you probably crack Steven Ross's way. I would just love to hear. So. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I think, yeah, when I was younger, I, I don't know, I was, I always felt sorry for, you know, for, for Rose, you know, she was kind of like, like 
someone I empathize with and she's an, you know, she's an empathetical character. So, but I mean, I, I think Sophia is the one that I've just come to love throughout life, but I, I totally get what you're saying though, as you kind of, kind of, and it's interesting, like as you watch it, as you get older, you catch new things, you, you know, you, you kind of relate to different characters in a different way. And it's, it's interesting. Those, those sitcoms that we were, you know, were a part of as kids and then as adults, like what, what they kind of, what they got to look back and stuff. So uh, fun, 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 fun times for sure. So you go from writing this controversial blog <laughs> to, um, to graduating, of course, All right. a couple years later. And uh, as you told your guidance counselor, you're looking to make money. So you take a job and uh, for uh, four or five years after, uh, after UNC, you, um, you go to work for a gardening magazine. Yes, which was terribly boring. It's as boring as it sounds. <laughs> um, it was definitely a learning experience. You know, when you get out of college and you go from making absolutely nothing to being offered something, you think it's a lot. And then you, <laughs> you realize later on, you're like, oh, I'm at the poverty line. I'm below the poverty line. And, you know, and you're, and you're, you're told, you know, oh, this is a lot. This is all we have to give. And yet you're looking at like the head of the company. You're like, okay, you have a nice house. You know, the ad person has a nice house. You know, I'm putting together the magazine. I don't, you know, I'm living in like a little apartment, you know, scraping by. And I remember in the middle of me being there, like I had a gallbladder that needed to come out and, you know, getting a bill and like, okay. And I told the guy, I was like, look, either I get more money here or I just go find something else to do. I said, because I got to pay for this gallbladder now. And it's, and this, this job and, you know, what I'm making here is just not aligning. Like it's, it's not afford, like I can't afford to work at this job anymore. I need something more, you know, he was like, Oh, well, you know, let me help you out somehow or, or we'll find a way. And it was just like, it never really happened. But, you know, I rode that job out into like the very end, like literally like the company got bought by somebody and they let me go. And I was just like, praise God. I was like, ah, oh, I like so happy. I was like, when can you go get, come get this stuff? You know, we were working remotely. I was just like, please come get this stuff. And the guy was like, I'll be there, you know, Saturday. I was like, it will be out on the, on the yard for you to come get. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. I don't want to see you. Don't come into my house. Don't don't come into my apartment. Don't want to see you. So, so it was a complete learning experience. That first job. I was trying to find it. It's not in circulation anymore, is it? It might be, but it's it's gotten absorbed. Like I said, by a bigger kind of company. The guy at the time wanted to. He wanted to own all of the gardening magazines in the United States. A weird goal, but it was his his. <laughs> It was his goal. You do you, boo-boo. Right. And so he he bought out, anytime one was like slightly for sale, he bought it out and he tried to make some of it, you know, unique to the state. And then some of it was like cookie cutter kind of stuff. And it was just whatever. So, yeah. So so that's the, that's the time you got into the tobacco industry. The, and so, okay. I mean, I mean, your, your experience to the tobacco industry at that point, I mean, I, I'm not, I don't think I'm misrepresenting you was nil, right? Right. So what was that interview like, that job interview? <laughs> that job interview was like, I was at the end of my rope mentally. I was just like drained. And I remember I had like an interview at this company that I was working for at the time, which doesn't even exist anymore. And like, 
a college like the next day. So I was like, look, I got two interviews lined up this week. I don't care how they, they go. Like, let's just go. Let's just do it. So I remember like walking into the interview and I was just like, you know, laying there, like sitting there, like all like relaxed and stuff. Cause I was like, I've been through enough interviews at this point. I was like, whatever, let's just get this going. Come on. I got stuff to do today. <laughs> and they were like asking questions like, well, you know, what happens if you don't have a picture and you need, and we need a picture for the magazine. I was like, I'll just make one. If I don't, if I find it like, wow, like, like, you know, it was just like, like, do you care that it's like tobacco products? I was like, look, as long as I don't have to smoke it, if I don't want to, I don't care what it is. Like, I'll do whatever. I was like, literally, you know, like, wow, like this guy is like pretty cool. You know, I was like, <laughs> you know, and it was like, you know, and it was just like questions like that. And it was just like, whatever. And I remember leaving. And by the time I got home, they're like, already like offering me a job. And it was like way more than I was making uh, at, you know, my first job. It still wasn't a lot, but it was still like way more. And I was like, yeah, progress, like, you know, fine. And I was like, you know, and it was, like I said, I was just like came in there. I didn't know anything about the industry. Like you said, I didn't smoke cigars, don't smoke cigarettes, still don't smoke cigarettes, you know, nothing. So it was just like a job. So I was just like, get the, get the story. They were, we were still using like actual folders at the time. They were delivered, you know, the editor would come drop off the folder on the shelf. You go pick it up and, and look through it. And all this material will be there. You just slap the story together. And that's, that's what I did. I mean, it was just, that was my, introduction into the industry you know just sitting there like oh okay Davidoff you know Winston Churchill uh, you know like they want this picture here this picture here and that's what I did for a while and then every now and then you know you have to like actually read the stories to kind of get an idea of you know what pictures are placed here and, and there but that was really my, my introduction into the industry uh, getting involved. So speaking of your arc so you go from that you know, no, no, I mean, for all intents and purposes, little interest mm -hmm. to be a part of it other than your job to now where, you know, you enjoy cigars uh, uh, frequently might be a little bit of an exaggeration, but on a regular basis. Yes. I'm not every day, you know, wake up in the morning, like, like, you know, alarm clock goes off and a cigar falls into the hand type type person. I, you can probably tell that from my Instagram. It's like, it's, it, it might be like a week you know, I might have a cigar or it might be like once or twice. Uh, it might not be any, you know, in a week, but you know, it's, it's I'm always about like, I, I think I focus more on the people part than mm -hmm. I do like the product part. Cause I'm like, I can't tell you, I'm not a cigar reviewer. Like I can't tell you all the different tasty notes and stuff like that. And you probably don't want me to tell you cause I'll just be like it. It's like cedar and and, it's and good. wood right it's good or it has a good draw or it doesn't have a good draw or i have to light it you know relight it two or three times like that's my kind of review so i'm not that type of person i feel like there's a billion other people in this industry who are, are good at that and where i'm good at though is like like you said maybe telling the actual story so i've always focused and stay in my lane of that <laughs> you know like we don't do reviews in, in tobacco business we're starting to do reviews for cigar, uh, cigars and leisure, but I'm not the one reviewing it. I, I send it out into the world of, you know, people I know who actually smoke cigars a lot more than I do, who could be really nitpicky or, or are better at that than I am. And they review it. And I just sit there and, and look at their notes and say, well, that's their experience. That's what we're going to, you know, print. 
so, so two questions I want to kind of dive into here. One, one I think is a, an appropriate observation because, uh, you, you know, maybe not the audience of my show and maybe not even the audience of Deep Cuts um, or even your audience that reads your articles. But you are, you, you, Antoine Reed, is a perfect representation of the, of the target. Because most cigar smokers, most cigar smokers, the majority of cigar smokers smoke like you, you know, the once or twice a month, three or four times a month kind of thing. And, um, and that's, that's what makes the industry go is that, is that, is that individual. Right. Uh, it's not the, the guy, like, it's not me who, you know, has, you know, I have one or two cigars a day, you know, when I have a, a leisurely day and that's when I have like, you know, four or five, but <clears throat> You know, I, I am a cigar. I'm a daily smoker, um, but I'm I'm in. You know, we have this kind of narrow purview in in our arena of of media because of where we focus on. But you're a you're an absolute representation of 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 the market. Right. I I, I always tell people like when I when I approach my stories, that's why I don't focus on wrapper, binder, filler because. To me, like if I picked up a magazine and that was all that was there, it wouldn't do anything for me. I'd be like, I don't know anything about the company, the people behind it, like where it's made or whatever. So I always write for, like you said, somebody who maybe who just stumbles upon the magazine and, you know, they think, oh, tobacco, like I, I would never be, you know, a cigar smoker. And I want them to pick up the magazine or whatever story or they stumble on on the website and read it and go, Oh wow! Wait, this kind of this is like, like entrepreneurship. This is business. This is kind of a cool story. This is you know Matt Booth. This is a guy who makes jewelry or whatever. This is you know Nestor Placencia. This guy whose family has grown tobacco forever, and you know he got into it you know through this angle and has kept the business going you know all these years. So I always write for the people who maybe aren't like you said everyday smokers or whatever to try to get them to understand more of like what's happening in the industry and the people who are taking part in it because i think that that that's going to always kind of move the needle a little bit from away from the anti-tobacco people who think anybody who's you know smoking a cigar or or really who because i focus on mostly on cigar most uh, out of any product category that anybody who's smoking a cigar is like you know, trying to get a kid to smoke a cigar or something crazy like that. And that's not mm -hmm. at all the case. You know, it's about entrepreneurship. It's about family businesses. It's about, you know, people, it's not even about corporations. It's like these businesses started for nothing really. And, and, you know, some of them make lots of money. Some of them don't. Some of them just do it because it's a passion. See, that's always been one of my, my observations. I, you know, if, if, the FDA, for example, sat down and had a conversation with Ernesto Perez Carrillo. Right. I mean, they would see that the furthest thing from his mind is getting his finished product into a miner's hand. That's not exactly. that's not the motivation at all. And and someone like Matt Booth, again, who we're going to talk about a little bit more in a second. I mean, in a lot of ways, he's in a lot of ways he's he's representative of someone like you, and that's probably why you have a friendship with him too. Because, you know, well, he probably, from my knowledge of him, um, he, he enjoys cigars a little bit more frequently than you do. But, you know, it's more of a, 
it, it's more of a community thing with him. He's building a, he, he's a, he's a brand builder and, uh, and he's done an incredible job with it. Uh, it, you know, so to, to go back to your colleagues though, at tobacco business, they've, they've seen this arc of you from go, coming in and knowing nothing, having no interest to now being, you know, a recreational smoker who enjoys indulges in our passion and has become a, a small passion of your own. I mean, have, has anyone ever talked to you about that? Like, like, do they, do they think that's really cool or is it just like that it was, it was an inevitable or like, have, has anyone ever acknowledged the, the, your growth, I guess? Uh, they have acknowledged the growth. I think they, they've acknowledged, cause I was always a behind the scenes kind of person. So up until a couple of years ago when, you know, somebody in the industry said, yo, you, you know, you, you know, you have this important role, but you are a behind the scenes person and that doesn't work. Like people need to know who you are. And I was like, no, they don't need to know who I am. They, I mean, it's just about the work. And they're like, no, they need to know like who you are. Like, well, you know, what are your interests? What do you, you know, what do you look like? What do you do? You know, that's your story. And that's when I started going, I was like, I guess I need to start an Instagram account and, you know, put myself out there a little bit more, but they've acknowledged like other people I work with acknowledged you know, that, that arc, especially after last year, you know, during COVID and you're sitting around going, you know, there's no events to go to. There's no trace you chose to go to. There's nothing like, what do I do? Do you just like sit around and wait until things get better? Or do you get out there a little bit more and, you know, doing these videos and Instagram lives with, with different people, you know, periodically, um, you know, they, they saw that as a, a big growth because they know how usually I'm like, you know, I'm fine with being a behind the scenes person to a degree, but then I realized, you know, I got to get it out there. I got to get that my story out there too. and got to help people get to know me so that they can trust me so that they know that, you know, if I tell you, I want to write a story about you, I'm not going to, you know, do some kind of hack job of, of like out to get you. And I tell people, I was like, I don't do gotcha journalism. That's not my, my thing. It's usually pretty, what you tell me is what usually ends up in the story. You know, I take, I do the interview with the person, I transcribe it. So I go through it, like I live through it again. And then I sit there and pick out pieces of it to make it into a story. So um, it's so, a process. <laughs> like I said, there, we're gonna talk about some of the subjects that you've had as part of your features in a moment. And I, I, I keep teasing that up here, but again, this, this purpose of today's conversation was to learn as much about you as possible, just because I find your story very fascinating. Um, but I mean, you've talked to a number of individuals who are, you know, have, you know, are very sage-like, you know, have got words of wisdom that I'm sure they've shared with you. Some, uh, we've interviewed some of the same people and they've shared some of the same, same or similar stories, similar advice. Um, have you ever taken any of your interviewees advice and you know if you have can you think of anyone that like really stood out to you like wow i really took this with me and and i use it in my and i use it in my day-to-day -day or in my you know in my life well i mean i think i learned something from every i know it sounds kind of cheesy whatever but i really learned something from every interview that i i do like usually i get to right now for the most part choose which interviews i want to do or what stories i want to pursue so, you know, it's people, like you said, that I, I feel like they have a story to tell or something to teach. And I always ask 
them certain questions like, you know, what's the best piece of business advice that you've received that, you know, made an impact on your life? Or, um, you know, what does success mean to you? I always have like, you know, we always have like these interviews where it's very structured, very kind of predictable questions. And then my last five or six questions are always kind of random. Like, like I, I say like Oprah questions, like these broad questions that always, for some reason, I think that they're so simple that the person is like, oh, I got to answer this question. And it's usually like, that's what stumps them for some reason. Like I, I ask them like, you know, if you can go back and change one, you know, one thing that you've done in your, with, with your business or your, you know, with your business in particular for tobacco business, like what would you change and, and why? And they're like, oh man, I don't know. And I'm like, 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 what is it? And they just, I keep trying to push them to, to answer that question. Um, in terms of like what have, has there been one that where I've learned something a lot? Uh, and I would say as a writer, it'll probably be um, to make sure that, you know, people want to, it, it's more worthwhile to have somebody tell you something rather than you say it. Like, for example, when I was doing the, the Herklots interview, like I did a, a version of the story and I was like, yeah, this is like, like I'm happy with the story. I sent it to him and he was like, you know, where are all the quotes from me in the story? And I was like, oh, you know, because I had taken his quotes and some of it and instead of just putting the work in the whole quote in there, I would just like paraphrase it or something like that. Uh -huh. So the, the you know, th that importance of sometimes finding a way to get as much of their voice in there as possible and that changes every story because you know you can paraphrase anything and, and that's going to sound like you and it's going to sound very straightforward and sometimes maybe boring but if you get their voice then it's them saying it word for word so like he, in, in the Herklot story I think towards the end like he's talking about success and and you know that it's not just about the money and you know it's about the, the process and what you learn from it and he, he made it sound a lot more sophisticated than what I can put in and paraphrase it right now to you but learning how to like listen to them and then like I said spit out basically take what they say and work in exactly what they said so that you see this is what the guy you know or the woman said like it's not what I'm paraphrasing or my interpretation of it like this is it you know, I think one of the things about we're going to talk about Michael a little bit more in depth here in a second, but the I think one of the things that I about Michael that I have always really appreciated, and he's brought this up several times, and you bring it up in your story. Um, well, actually, we'll just I'll just call it audible. We'll talk a little bit about it. Is the why he, he you know is to continually ask why, and that's a big thing in terms, and that's how he attributes a lot of success to that, his personal mm -hmm. success to always wanting to know more, getting deeper and finding out the, you know, like we do, right. The story behind the story. Well, why, why is this happening? Well, why did that happen to make this happen? And, it, you know, and, and he's learned a lot because of it. And I thought that was, you know, that's a, that's a very simple, I mean, it's an oversimplified mantra of his, but I mean, there's a lot of meat to that, to that, to that, to that ideal. Yeah. And I think a lot of, in terms of like businesses, because I know there's a whole book on like, you know, start, I think the, the, the title of the book is start with why, <laughs> like a lot of businesses and people don't start with that question. They start with, 
I'm going to make lots of money from this idea or, you know, we're going to do this or that. You know, they never start with like, why are you doing it? And sometimes I know I make people even on our team mad because, you know, they'll come up with this idea and they're like, oh, we've got to, we're going to do this, this, this. And I'm like, why? <laughs> like, and they're like, what do you mean? Why? Cause it's like, it's, it's the thing to do or it's going to make money. I was like, no, but like, why? Like, why would, you know, the retailer who lives in like, you know, the middle so-and-so care about this idea? Like, what's it going to do for their business? You know, what's, you know, why would, you know, this company, this manufacturer care about this product? You know, why would we just do it? You know, why? You know, and, and we don't think about that question a lot. So as Herklotz kind of put it, you know, that is a, an important question that we all should start with and, and think about and kind of integrate into basically our, our daily operation as we're working through our problems at work and figuring out what, what we're doing and why, you know, why we're doing it. And I think that's an important question to ask sometimes, especially, I mean, you know, you, you guys put together a, a really great publication and it's a trade publication. So business to business. So it's unique in that aspect, but a lot of the ways, especially the, the features that you write Antoine, I mean, they're for a, they're for a pretty, I mean, I mean, they're, I mean, they're for an, almost an everyone. Yeah. At least from my perspective. Yeah. Because like when we first came on board, Tobacco so Business was a completely different publication. And I don't think that's a, a secret. I mean, people looked at it. I mean, I would, I remember I told people, you know, I'm going to go work at Tobacco Business. And they're like, what Tobacco Business? Like, no, Tobacco Business, like the magazine. They're like, what magazine? I was like, Tobacco <laughs> Business Magazine. And they're like, never heard of it. And then, you know, you would put it in front of them. And some people are like, oh my gosh, like that's just, it's just press releases. And, and you know, it's nothing that, that, that we care about, like, you know, and it was like trying to, like, this is like 2017, trying to get people on board with this idea. And when we sat down and said, like, what can we do editorially? It was like, you know, I said, cigarette companies don't want to talk about their product. They, they're not going to sit there and tell you <laughs> what's in their product. They don't want the publicity, really. They don't, I mean, most of them, there might be one or two. Most of them, they just don't want that type of story on them. You know, um, there are not a lot of pipe companies out there now. So you could do a, a story from the perspective of like a pipe maker. Um, but like, there's not as many pipe companies out there. It's like the only category that's good for storytelling are cigar people. I was like, they, they will tell you, you could sit, you could sit, have like a five day conversation with them and they will have enough, you know, new stuff to say every single day. And I was like, so we should focus on a cigar people. And again, make it like Entrepreneur Magazine where it's just for everybody. Like I read stories in Entrepreneur Magazine that have that are about industries that I have no dealings with, have no attentions of ever dealing with, but it's applicable to me in some way. So, you know, that's always been our approach for tobacco businesses to do stories that, like you said, are accessible to everybody. So you, you know, it could be this magazine could end up in like a, a doctor's office somehow. I don't know how it would end up there, but <laughs> it could end up there and they're like, you know, pick up a story and they could completely be like, wow, you know, I could take a, apply some of these things about branding or marketing to what I do in my job. Or, you know, it could be a, a somebody who's considers themselves to be a cigar aficionado and they could still learn something new and they can be somebody who's never smoked a cigar before. And they, you know, they're not going to be, you know, spoken down to they're not going to be 
um, left out of the story, there's something there for them too. <clears throat> no, and I agree. And, and so, so to go to your goal, I mean, it is a, it is again, it is journalism, it is news, and and but it is a feature and everything. So to go to Michael Herklotz's pieces, you know, which was incredible. It was also very timely in, in a lot of ways, uh, but, you know, the interview concludes, the story concludes with the possible sale of, of Nat Sherman. And the, I mean, this was weeks before, I mean, I mean, almost even days before they announced that. Right. No more Nat Sherman. And I know I've had this happen on a number of times where I've had a guest on and we're talking about their business and, Days later, they announce a new product that, you know, I'm like, well, that would have been nice to talk about. Right. And I mean, I don't get mad. Um, it's a little frustrating, obviously. I mean, but I mean, were you I mean, were you frustrated with the news or, or did it play so well because of the timing that it just worked well off of it? Like, I, I was interested to get your perspective on this. No, like when we did that, that story, I mean, we had started talking. I remember it was like early on in the year. So like when we work on stories, it's usually like months in advance. So mm-hmm. It was obviously pre-COVID. I mean, that's how far in advance we were working on the story. And I remember saying, I was like, there's two people I want to write a story on this year. I'll say, I want to do a story on Michael Herklotz and I want to do a story on Matt Booth. I was like, those are the two cover stories I want to do. And they're like, okay, well, you can do your, your, get your cover stories. And so I remember, you know, talking to Herklotz about saying, oh, I want to do the story. You know, we got the questions done and everything like that. And like you said, at the, at the, when we did the story, I had no idea that w- what was going to happen to Nat Sherman was going to happen. So I wasn't mad at all. It was like, like you said, it was kind of, you know, it was like a month or two later after the, the thing came out that some, this news started to come out. And I was like, oh, I was like, it was a good thing we did it when we did it. <laughs> I mean, without knowing like where he was going to end up, because I was like, well, he's going to end up somewhere in the industry, obviously. I said, but to do it now, I mean, it seems cool. You know, it kind of fit into two things. But there's been cover stories. You can go back and look at all our cover stories that, you know, it's like they're on the cover one day. And then, like, by the time that magazine comes out, sometimes they're not even at the company anymore. You're like, wow, great. <laughs> you know, like, how are we going to spend this one? Like, how are we going to promote this? Um, but it, it happens. And now you kids can't get mad, um, you know, and about releases and stuff like that. I feel like. I know that sometimes they have like a, a kind of like sweetheart deal with, with different blogs and different magazines that say that they're going to release their news to so-and-so first before they do it to us. And you just kind of have to get over it uh, at this point and just like, whatever, um, you know, do your thing. But at least our story is very unique to us. So nobody else is going to have that, like you said, that cover story. Um, and, uh, or that angle of that story that, that we've had. So I wasn't really uh, at all upset. I was just like, Oh, I was like, well, that's news. <laughs> was like, <laughs> well, if you read some of his comments, the way, I mean, the way that you wrote it, 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 I, I mean, again, hindsight always being 2020, right. You can kind of read the writing on the wall a little bit and you can kind of see him and even his interviews. Cause I interviewed him uh, right as COVID started last year too. And, you know, my interactions with Michael beforehand, Michael's always been carefree, very laid back, very approachable, um, which shocks a lot of people if you just know of Michael Herklotz and don't know Michael Herklotz. Right. Um, (laughs) But 
there was almost like this weight lifted off of him and, and, and he, he became uh, just a different, uh, a different version of himself. And I, and I would, on, I would argue a better version of himself um, because that weight had been lifted. He wasn't really shackled anymore, even though he was still part of, he was still, you know, employed by Altria there, you know, it almost was like the Altria handcuffs were taken off and he was able to speak his mind in a lot of ways, um, which he's always done, but kind of with that, that caveat of, you know, those, 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 the shackles a little bit. And he, he really loosened up and you got to, you got to really know him because he did a lot more shows than me. He did deep cuts with you. And then the, mm-hmm. of course the, the feature that you wrote, you know, you, you talk about, you know, news and everything. And now this was done about probably about 18 months, maybe even two years before the sale. And it wasn't even your piece. It was Steven's uh, on, on Boris Vinterman's. Right. And you read that article and you're like, man, this is awesome. This, you know, this, you know, Royal Ahio is going to be doing, going to be a, a player in this industry. And then, you know, two years later, like you said, to your point, like one day you're on the cover and then next day, you know, mm-hmm. what, but, no, I, I really liked that piece. Um, and I, I, the way it concluded and everything, I really wanted to get your perspective on it. Cause I mean, this was literally like even days before it, it was announced and, and everything. So I wanted to see if you saw the writing on the wall. So I kind of, as I kind of read through the lines a little bit, again, with hindsight being 2020 a little bit on the article. Um, so I, we, like I said, I kind of, I called an audible there cause we were just talking about Michael and everything, but uh, you mentioned her in a second. So that's uh, uh and the person I'm speaking about is Oprah. And, and I, I do see a lot. I'm not, the, I'm not a, um, I'm not an Oprah fan. I, I'm, I don't dislike her. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not an Oprah fan necessarily, right. but I, there's, there, there is one thing that I really do admire about her from an interviewing aspect is, is how she actually does relate with her subject in a lot of different ways. And, and, uh, um, having uh having gotten to know you over the last you know the last few minutes and everything i i kind of see a lot of i can see how you you kind of do i mean do you try to mirror her a little bit or or am i just reading into way too much into it no i I see i see my interview style or my approach is a little bit it's it's like 80 percent maybe oprah and then like you know 20 percent wendy williams (laughs) where like you know, Wendy Williams will ask you any questions she wants and she'll just go there and you like, in you know, it, she just goes there. And, and Oprah's like very mythology. I mean, her questions are, are, are thought provoking. And she always goes for like what she used to call tweetable moments, you know, when Twitter was, was a big thing. But, you know, these moments where it's like quotable moments. And I always look for that moment. Like if I can get an interview and, I, and I'm going through the interview and somebody says something that's just like, profound you're like oh yeah that's you know that's the moment that's like the 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 nugget you know and everything so I always like look for that moment if I don't get that moment in an interview then I'm like "Mm," like you know this is gonna be a hard a hard story to kind of put together because you have to have like a a rallying moment um but I just like her interview style and the way that like you said she she tries to approach it she tries to take takes herself out of the interview because I think early on in my career, when I was first starting to interview people, I always felt like the need to, you know, insert myself in the interview. And now I just have like this moment where I'll interview somebody 
and I, I think it was her who said, you know, sometimes you find out a, a lot in like moments of silence. So you'll see her sometimes like just sit there and like wait for the person to kind of keep talking. And that's always been like something that I've learned, you know, even the other day I was speaking to a pretty big person in the industry uh, working on a, a, another uh, story. And, you know, it was just like, I asked him a question and the question came out and it was like, you know, I was expecting like maybe them to go on, you know, great length about this thing. And it was just like, yada, 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 yada. Poof, that was it. And I was like, and I think I even said, I was like, that's it? Like, do you want to elaborate? And then they like, oh, okay. And then they elaborated and it was like, got more out of them. So to me, it's always about like bringing that, like pulling teeth sometimes, but getting them to like talk. Like, I want you to talk more than I, I talk to you when I do an interview. So, you know, if I can get them to talk and I'm just sitting there and I'm just like reading the questions, um, then like all the better. That's something I definitely uh, can tell, like in your deep cuts interviews and stuff. Like you, you're like the 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 questions are like so few and far between. I take a different approach. I talk a lot during my interviews, just because again I like to have it a little bit more conversational. Um, but no, silence is one of the best things um, to use um, when you're when you're wanting to get to that to that next level that we that we talk about. And then you, you reveal something about a person that's just like, you get surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I go back to my conversation with George Ramey, uh, brand ambassador for Camacho. And George, George is one of the most likable people in this industry. And it's, it's obvious why he's, he's very colorful. He's, and he's entertaining and he's engaging, he's energetic. And I, I mean, I just, I really, I was really enjoying our conversation and we were talking a little bit about his background. And I, I go back to this because he's like, I haven't even, and it was revealed afterwards. He's like, man, I've never even talked about this with anybody. And it was, it, it was a story about his father was a diplomat in Honduras. And uh, it was during, a, you know, Honduras a very, and in the 90s in a very, very turbulent time. And uh, uh, someone set a bomb off in his, in his house as a child. And in fact, it, it went off in the living room where 15 minutes beforehand, his, his, his baby sister had been playing. Now, luckily, no one was hurt and everyone was fine. But that, I mean, that threw me. Because here's George, he talks about, you know, Camacho and Live Bold and, you know, you know, pairing drinks with cigars and, you know, parties and like all this other stuff. Like, like I said, like a very energetic, you know, out there individual. And then this very real moment just kind of creeps in. And it was just, I mean, I would, I, I mean, I wasn't silent for the sake of like we were just talking about. I was silent because right. I was genuinely shocked. Have you, have you had moments like this? Uh, I'm sure I have. I mean, they don't come to mind. Usually my, my silence is just like, like I said, like deep cuts, deep cuts. If I'm silent on there, it's like really because I have like nothing planned. Like I tell people I have no agenda. I was like, we're just going to come on here for an hour and we're going to talk. <laughs> and that's it. Like, that's the only agenda. I don't give them questions ahead of time. There's only been like one or two, uh, you know, for some of the big, 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 big interviews where, Maybe I've given them a, a few questions that we might touch on, but everybody else is just like, you know, it's like as if we were out in public. And so I'm always like, I, I come, I go into it with like no expectations. And I think that's the thing I've learned over the years is, you know, sometimes you come, you, you interview somebody and depending on who they are, 
you come in with so many expectations like, oh, they're going to talk about this or oh, there's going to be like, it's going to be this attitude. And then it completely messes up your interview and like what kind of questions you're going to get out of them. So I usually kind of go into it like, again, like even if it's a big person, I'm like, okay, it's no big deal. Like, let's just treat them like everybody else. Let's just ask them the question. Like, you know, they may be big, but maybe this, you know, this question seems stupid to me, but it might be, you know, a cool question to, to ask them. So I've not had like the, the George moment that, that you've had with, with them, but I've had moments where like, I'm like, oh, I was like, that's completely cool. Cause I never really expected, you know, that, that story that they tell might go completely against my expectations of, of who they are. Um, you know, and that visual, like, you know, like, like I said, I was speaking to Ernesto Perez Carrillo and, you know, he was telling me about his first experience of, of smoking cigars and, you know, how it happened when, when he was, you know, playing drums at a club event and stuff like that. And just the way he described it, it was like, oh, that's not very Ernesto. I don't, I would never have, have, have pictured that. So that was like one of my moments. I was like, that, you know, that, that's a, a, an amazing moment. And it makes me go silent just because I was like, I'm like, like, is there a way to work that into the story without it being like, you know, this weird moment or whatever? But there's always moments like that with people, you know, that, that, I mean, even Matt Booth, you know, talking about his different, I was like, you know, like, well, like, why did you announce you, you were going to retire? And then you came back, you know, a month later, like, like, what was that about, you know, and getting that story is like, oh, okay. I was like, that makes sense, you know, and, and going there with, with people sometimes and, and, and going to the weird places that you don't expect and you go like, oh, didn't, didn't think we were going to, you know, go there with the interview. No, definitely. So we're this that kind of leads us into a couple of our fun segments here, and then I want I want to talk about a couple more of your features that you've done, Antoine, over the last uh, last year or so. Um, and uh, to the the segment, of course, is a, a personal favorite for my audience here on uh, LS Fumar Takes. It's our one must go segment, and uh, as always, it's brought to you by. Uh, United Scars, featuring La Giana Havana and distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garofalo, and the highly acclaimed Atabay and Byron lines. Uh, so smoke one today and start living United. Now, Antoine, if you, I don't know uh, if you've had a chance to partake in any of my shows, but this is a, a segment where we have a little fun, uh, and I and I kind of try to mold it uh, based on based on my guest for the evening. And so the concept is, I give you three things, and um, and one's got to go, okay. you know, and now this is just for fun. Obviously you're not really giving up one of these things. And you know, if anyone out there is watching and is concerned that, you know, Antoine's going to be giving up one of these things, don't worry. It's not, you know, it's not real. It's just for fun. And so, um, but I, I've, like I said, I've in, in researching for the show and everything, I've learned a lot about you, which again, I've found just incredibly fascinating a number of things. And, 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 and one is your, your, your eclectic, you know, I guess, fandom of a lot of different things. You know, we talked about music. We've talked about your background in art. Um, we've talked about some other things, um, you know, and so I, I know you're a fan of these three things. And so one's got to go. So okay. here we go. You ready? Yep. So the first one's Oprah. Got to start with her. Um, the view. <laughs> okay. And I think you know where the next one is. Cause I know you're a super fan of her. Rachel Ray. Oh, <laughs> so one's got to go. Oprah, The View, and Rachel Ray. Now, for for our audience who may not be aware, <laughs> these 
these three things are very important to you. They are, yeah, the air. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, I think, I think at this point I could say Oprah would have to go because I, I, oh. I think that's surprising to people, but I think as, as long as I have my knowledge of what Oprah has done up to this point where she has to go, then it's like, yeah, but like the view, I, I have to, I have, I watch the view every single day. Um, and Rachel Ray is, as well. Rachel Ray is like, I love her interview style and the, the cooking and I usually get a few book ideas from her. So yeah, I think I, I would have to, I can't go, I can't go a day without seeing what argument Joy Behar and Megan McCain are going to get into. So <laughs> I think that makes my day. Usually I could have it be having a horrible day and just, to me, that's like the view is like WWE on estrogen for me. So I can't, <laughs> I can't live without that. So it, 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 it's, it's really, it was really interesting to me. And I, I think I, I almost kind of have to, I, so I'm not, I, I, I'm a fan of like one of these uh, just to be completely transparent. Um, but, you know, I thought about like what your mind answer would be. And I thought it might be Oprah. Cause I was thinking like, you know, that's a, that's a, you know, dismiss her, her impression that she's made on your life and the lives of, you know, obviously millions at this point, but she's kind of served her purpose. Right. Right. Exactly. And um, you know, these other two are, you know, relatively newer and, you know, in, in, well, in just in general. Um, so the, the view I thought was interesting um, because like you said, it's kind of like, it, it can get pretty, it can be pretty savage. Um, you know, one of the moments I thought of, which I mean, I think everyone in the industry is kind of familiar with, which was the big uh, Nick Jonas controversy, which was when he was, he oh, graced the cigar he aficionado. Gra- yeah. He graced the cover <laughs> cigar aficionado. And I just couldn't believe and We were talking about your piece at the top of the show where you wrote about black owned businesses. And like, you thought you were just putting this nice little list together. And then all of a sudden, you know, both sides of the aisle start going at you. I mean, it was the same kind of thing. Well, you know, you know, cigar aficionado puts out this cover young guy, young guy, a young, a young person. Cause you know, I mean, up until this point, I mean, I think the youngest person that they had probably graced on their cover had probably been early thirties. Right. Maybe. Um, and you know, here's a young guy, um, gracing the cover of cigar aficionado, energizing the industry. And there were so many people giving cigar aficionado shit over this, like how, and, in our industry. Mm-hmm. And then on the flip side of it, you have secular society giving Nick Jonas shit <laughs> because he posed for a cover of a cigar magazine. I mean, the audacity of him. Yeah. Um, that, yeah. So, I mean, since you're a fan of the show, I kind of, what, I mean, I thought that there, cause they featured that. And of course, Joy Behar just went, just went off. <laughs> Um, she goes off about everything. Though, yeah, I was so. gonna say. I mean, she's. I mean, pretty extreme on everything. Whatever side she takes, it's just like it's. She has. She has no. What I call school zone limit. Like it's <laughs> it's it's a hundred miles an hour. Or it's nothing, and it, you know, um, and it's usually a hundred miles an hour. But like, w- I mean, I know you're a fan of the show, so you probably saw that episode. I probably what? did. It's been so long. So many <laughs> weird moments between then and that that. What what was your take on that? Like, I mean, where did you fall 
considering considering your own foray into the industry and and your your experience with cigars not being like a lot of our audience and having right features similar to this again not with celebrities but mostly people in the industry right. what was what was your take on it like wh- wh- how did you fall on it i felt like nick jonas out of most people who land on the cover of cigar aficionado that he at least was a person that you know was not just posing with a cigar like he's always like if you followed his career and his brothers and all that stuff they usually are sitting around smoking cigars at some point, him and Joe Jonas. I don't know about Kevin because Kevin always is the odd one out. You know, he's the family guy and just not part of the, the whole Nick and Joe thing. So uh, I wasn't surprised by it. I mean, as a media person, you always, I think, I think pe- other media people, I don't know what they thought. I mean, I don't think they had an issue with it. It's always like, envy a little bit probably because you're always like oh I, I wish we could have got a story like that you know to some degree like some big celebrity because I think it was like one of their best-selling covers maybe or I, I forget I'm sure the, it was because it scaled the gamut right I mean right got- I mean I remember I rushed out to get it I don't usually rush out to get Cigar Aficionado um, a lot so it got me talking about it and got me interested in the, the magazine again um, so I, and I mean, the article was, was fine. I mean, I, I looked through it. It wasn't anything shocking or scandalous. It wasn't, I mean, it was just like a straightforward article. You're like, yeah, like this guy smokes cigars. Like, y- you know, um, I guess from there, maybe it, I think, I'm trying to think about to what the view probably said about it or, or some of the people on there at the time. I think they, their argument was, you know, he's a, you know, he's a younger guy. He has a younger audience. Right. He shouldn't be, you know, doing stuff like this. And I remember being, I mean, if you looked at the comments, even outside the view, like on Twitter and Tumblr, um, I mean, there were people on both sides of it, like saying, oh, yeah. like, like, oh, like he's, you know, you know, smoking of any kind of is disgusting. Like, how dare he, you know, do this and, and knowing that he has lots of like younger fans or whatever. But again, it's like it's it goes back to that whole argument. Like he's a younger guy, yeah, but I think he he was of age where he could be smoking cigars. Very so it wasn't so. like it wasn't like he was like an underage guy. Um I can't see younger guy I can't see like younger kids seeing that and saying, Oh, I'm gonna go out now and and buy me a padrone or, or something like that. <laughs> right. I, uh, a they wouldn't be able to afford it, B they just wouldn't that's just not in their wheelhouse. I mean, it's, it's, this is a very niche industry. So it's, it's not like it's going to, I don't think Nick Jonas expanded it, you know, that far by, by doing that cover. So I guess I could see both sides of the, the argument. It was just funny, but it served its purpose because in the media, what your main purpose is to get eyeballs and to get people to buy mm-hmm. your magazines, uh, especially a print magazine, because print magazines usually don't sell as much anymore. Um, to get people to to be interested in talking about the magazine and all that stuff. So I think it served its purpose in getting people riled up and talking about the magazine. Oh, but they haven't done anything like that since then, though. It's not like they, they've, I mean, they easily could have said, wow, you know, we need to be looking for younger, you know. Right? <laughs> younger people maybe to get on the magazine. But I mean, since then, like I said, we've had the rock, you know, Dwayne Johnson on the cover several times. We've had several stories about mobsters. I think we had, you know, Sean Connery. 
um, James Bond smoking cigars. So it's not like it changed their editorial um, outlook or, or initiative. So it should have. It they, missed have oppor- but- they missed an opportunity here. I think, right. I mean, cause I mean, cause here, here was my biggest thing, you know, and, and with the outrage um, on that side of the aisle with like, Oh, he's got younger fans and, you know, he should be mindful of his influence. And I, I was like, I think he is. Cause he's, I mean, like, he's also a huge, he's a huge health nut because he's diabetic. Right. And uh, you know, he has to be, and he, he's, he's taking great pains to, to adjust his lifestyle to lead a healthy lifestyle. And, you know, the occasional cigar, anything in moderation is, is, is healthy, anything in moderation. So my point was, would have, would Joy Behar have been a problem if he had done a had same company, had been on the cover of of wine 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 specter or no. or, whis- or whiskey advocate same company no, because alcohol is usually for whatever reason not vilified like tobacco exactly exactly it's a legal product that's enjoyed by adult consumers right but it's the yeah it's the sti- it's the stigma and it's and it that that was the thing that just like boiled my blood about it, it was like i couldn't believe that that people are so jaded to not recognize the hypocrisy in their own judgment. Like you never hear about somebody like smoking so many cigars that they get into a car accident, <laughs> but you hear about it. Like you said about, you know, yes. Drinking enough wine or, or any type of spirit where, you know, they become a little bit loose and something bad happens. So I've never heard of anybody overdosing on a cigar, <laughs> exactly. you there, know, there are a few double a hero, cigars that could <laughs> easily easily maybe tip you over and make you a little bit sick but uh yeah oh absolutely um so like i i thought that w- I, I wanted to get your opinion on that um and then but i i also know you have a, you're a huge fan of rachel ray um <laughs> which uh we had this uh discussion in in the, the small uh, circle of cigar media one time and it was rachel ray versus giada giada dealer and i gotta say i was in the minority because i was a rachel nothing gets giada yeah. at all um really nice to look at brilliant chef love some of her recipes and everything um but i'm a, I'm, a, I'm a rachel ray fan too and and i looked at it from a practical standpoint i was like listen i've done some of giada's re- recipes and like i'm in the kitchen like all fucking day like <laughs> rachel ray it's it's 30 minutes, man. That's, that's what I got to do. Like, exactly. It's, it's, I've got, it's I've just, got kids. I've got to, I got to get something on the table. Exactly. And it's easy. It's usually easy food. And I just like that. Her show is not just about cooking. It's like interview stuff too. So, and she does like pretty big interviews and she always like, again, she's like Oprah in that she gets to like the human part of the story. Like, it's not just, wow, you're a celebrity. Like, you know, let's talk about celebrity stuff. It's usually relatable stuff. And she has like human interest stories usually on our show too about people trying to do good things for dogs or their neighbors or stuff like that. And we all need that, you know, kind of positive spin. So it's to me, it's, it's yeah. Rachel Ray has like always been like one of those people that I just like to, to watch for the cooking, for the interview style, for, for everything. And she's not, and you've not really heard anything mean about her like in the press like you have to really look hard and, and some of those stories that are out there are kind of outlandish um, yeah. i mean i mean her, her house burned down last year and and she just kept doing her show i mean most people yeah. have been like i gotta take time off <laughs> she's like you know the, the day after she's like 
here's my house. It's burned down, but I'm going to still continue to do my show, you know, and that stuff is going on in the background. So I was like, wow. Yeah. I, what, I mean, she's incredibly tenacious. I and mean, this is a, this is a woman who uh, like a couple of times, um, uh, she got in a car wreck one time, still went to work that day. Uh, and we're not talking about like a little fender bender. Her car flipped multiple times mm-hmm. um, and she went to work. Uh, she literally cut off her finger. This is a great story. The first, her first day at Food Network, she cut off her finger, super glued it back on, did the show, then went to the hospital. Yep. I mean, yeah. I mean, she, she's got mugged once. I mean, she just like has all the stuff. Crazy, crazy. So thank you, Antoine. I, I really appreciate it. That was our, that was our one must go segment uh, a little bit more in depth than I wanted to, but I just, I, I, I know that these were three things that you loved and I just thought it would be, and they had their own interesting topic aside from them. So, and of course it's always, uh, the segment's always brought to you by United Cigars uh, featuring La Giana Havana, uh, distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garofalo, and the highly acclaimed Atabe and Byron lines. So remember smoke one today, start living United. So, you know, Antoine, you were mentioning uh, Rachel Ray's affinity for uh, human interests, and it's somewhat of a motivation in, in our, our both of our interview styles, too, is, 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 you know, what we've alluded to all evening. And, and this is always this has become actually my personal favorite part of the show is when I started this segment uh, on my birthday late last year. And so I've, I've asked my guests uh, to bring to the table a, a charity or a nonprofit. Uh, that they would like to raise awareness for and, 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 and possibly bring attention. And, you know, uh, you know, if possible, if people feel called to raise some money for as well. And, uh, you know, I, I, I posed the question to you and you, you, I was really excited for this. And so I'm going to give it a little brief introduction, but I'm going to step away for a moment um, and kind of give you the floor. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to go quiet like you uh, do in your interviews sometimes, uh, but I will be back, but I want you to kind of take the floor from me here, but you're, 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 uh, charity of choice is a home for my family, which is pro cigars, uh, non, uh, nonprofit, uh, foundation that they started, which is geared towards, uh, it's a housing program, uh, that's geared towards, uh, uh, the disadvantaged, uh, employees and deserving employees within this premium cigar industry. So, um, like I said, I'm going to give you the floor and I'll, I'll, I'll be right back. Yeah, I think, um, so a home for my family, what I've seen, um, I think they introduced it at Pro Cigar 2020. And what I liked about it was that we always focus on people in the industry. And the fact that here's an organization, Pro Cigar, they put on a great event every year. Um, They do work throughout the year, but they created this charitable foundation that basically gives people a chance to, you know, to honor the people who are making the cigars. So it's a pretty simple and straightforward or uh, charitable organization. They choose a family or a deserving worker and they give this person a great gift, which is a house. And um, I think it's a great cause. And that is one that anybody who's a cigar smoker and especially who's a fan of Dominican cigars should want to get behind and uh, support. And I think, like I said, it's part of a pro cigar. So I think the website is prosigar.org. 
Yeah, and I actually have the website up, and I'm uh, I'm linking the uh, the people feel called. I'm linking the donate link into tonight's chat as well as um, it'll be in the show notes as well. But a great organization. Yeah, and I like it. It's pretty simple and straightforward. It's like it's what exactly what it sounds sounds like. I mean, they choose ra- randomly from the different pro cigar uh, members. Uh, so people like Davidoff and Laura. Um, and a list of other companies that are part of the Pro Cigar, they randomly choose, like I said, a worker to receive a, a, a new house. So it's like, it's a great way to, to honor the people who are actually making the product. I, um, you've, so how many, so how many Pro Cigars have you actually covered? I have covered two. So I start. My first one was 2019. So you know, um, you know, my partner on Cigar Coop Primetime Special Edition, uh, Will Cooper, has said that it's it's by far the the best festival experience that he's been a part of. So I'm I'm, I'm interested to get your take on. It. I have not participated in Pro Cigar. It's something that it's definitely uh, on my to do list uh, for sure. It's something that I'm, the the idea of it is very exciting to me. Um, because there are so many great uh, manufacturers down in the Dominican, and they do so much more than just make cigars, as we were just talking about. What what was your, I guess, your first experience like, and and, and would you encourage a lot of people to participate? Yeah, I mean, my experience was it's funny because we're like you and I were we're always in the mindset of the American cigar media. So when you go there, you realize that we're in a minority. So it's very international. Um, you know, mindset. But with that being said, um, like it was the only, it's, your, it's like your chance in, the, in a three or four day, however many days you take part in it um, span to really get to experience so much of the cigar in, in a Dominican cigar industry at one time. The, the chance to go on these tours of, of some of the biggest, you know, well-known brands and factories. Uh, if you do the full tour you get to visit Tobacco Lair de Garcia which is the largest cigar you know factory in the world basically um but you get the chance to, to see the factories of uh you know where EP Carrillo is made where La Ors made PDR um a bunch of other you know General Cigar Dominicana uh, La Flor Dominicana there's so many other companies that I can't even name but it's just a De los, de los Reyes, you mentioned PDR, uh, Tabacular de la Palma, you know, uh, Jose right. Blanco's place. Casada, I mean, like, you, you go down there, like I said, and you just, you're immersed in this thing, and it's really well organized in that, like I said, the first couple of days, um, I, in 2019, I did the full thing, and then the second year, 2020, um, I just did half of it. So I just kind of came in um, the Santiago part and did two factory tours and then they had like a field day which was kind of like an open open tent thing where everybody was there in one place basically and you got to go around and take pictures with people and talk to people and i mean brand owners like like i said everybody who was anybody at pro cigar was at this event and then you go back to the hotel for a couple of hours and then at night every night it's like a different gala dinner a party something you get you come home with a bunch of cigars you know, some of them are pretty rare. Some of them are things that are going to be released later on in the year. 
sometimes you don't even think about it until you get home and you open it up and you're like, wow, I got like this, you know, dab it off a year of the year of the whatever it is. And, you know, that's a, a sometimes like a $40 cigar in the, in the U.S. And here it is as part of your, you know, welcome packet, you know, or part of the dinner packet for one night. So it's a really fun event. That I tell people that if you really want to know the industry and get to know the industry without having to go like, a, like you know, on a tour of your own and organize it, go to Pro Cigar. They do all the organizing for you, provide transportation to these places. And it's just fun. So I, this was a question. So I'm, I'm glad you brought up the, the cigars that you were able to be gifted and stuff. And that's, and that's really awesome. And, you know, but you know, for someone who doesn't, as we've talked about, who doesn't smoke a lot of cigars and everything, I mean, how big is your collection now? I mean, do you have a couple humidors? Like, do you keep them at the office? Do you keep them at home? Like, what is what does Antoine Reed's collection look like? Uh, like, my apartment looks like a cigar store right now because it's like so. I have Boveda bags everywhere because I just I've been trying to rebag everything. But I have like a little Daniel Marshall made humidor that he gave me a couple years ago that has all my Davidoff stuff in it right now. On top of it, I have a huge year of the rat <laughs> humidor from, from Drew Estate, which has all my Drew Estate, well, part of my Drew Estate stuff in it. And then, like I said, in my bedroom, it's just like anything you could possibly think of, I basically have right now. <laughs> and like I said, they, I've, I've gotten stuff like I just last week, I got the new uh, Macanudo, Macanudo Inspirado Brazilian thing that they just released. So you know, sometimes I'm lucky enough to get, like I said, things that are just coming out. Um, so it's a little bit of everything. Like I said, people always are like, oh, and like that's probably the, the best part of the job. And sometimes it, it is, but I tell people too, I was like, I spend a lot of money sometimes buying stuff that, you know, not everybody's going to send you stuff. <laughs> so if you want to try stuff, you have to kind of buy it your, your, yourself. So I also spend a lot of money kind of buying stuff to, kind of add to the collection and and smoke whenever i you know feel like it so and and i've heard you say this before in other interviews you you, you you're uh, much like the rest of your personality would suggest you're very eclectic in your smoking you mm -hmm. don't stick to you don't stick to one brand or anything but what what's something over the last what's a couple things over the last year i i've heard you reminisce about perdomo um lot 23 i know is a personal favorite of yours um, but like, what are some of the cigars that you've kind of maybe discovered in the past year that, uh, that you've just really kind of drawn to, and it could, they could be re new releases. They could be something that's been on the market for years. I mean, I'm just curious, uh, uh, the Avo classic Maduro, I think that was a 2020 release. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's one that kind of, yeah. yeah, that's one that really left an impression. I would say, um, the room one-on-one farce. I know I tried that one that uh, when I was at an the event. The Maduro, because that's what I'm smoking right now. I don't know if it was the Maduro. I don't think so. Am I? I don't know. It had like a grayish label, whatever that one is. Oh, the but, original, the original farce. Okay, right. Uh, the Habano wrapper that he uses. I think yeah. so. Uh, that was a good one. You know, I had this EP Carrillo uh, at Pro Cigar last year. I forget which one it was. It was one of those that we got in, again, kind of at the event. Um, I really like that one. Like I said, I just try so many different things. 
there's there's really nothing that I've tried that I'm like I really don't like. I can't that nothing comes to mind that something that I'm like I really hate this cigar. Uh, Do you gravitate more towards bold, uh, I, more mild? Are you all over the place like I am, or I go for more mild usually, but I have you know there have been some stronger cigars where I'm like you know this is not that bad like you know a lot of the law for dominicana stuff um mm-hmm. that i remember we were at pro cigar 2019 and we went to uh i did the law for dominicana tour and i remember i was with somebody uh and she she said antoine I, I hope you had breakfast this morning she said don't don't smoke one of these cigars without you know <laughs> having something on your palate and i was like oh, i'll be fine and i was okay but it was just like oh it was like you know nine o'clock in the morning in the Dominican Republic, you know, with this La Florida Dominicana cigar. And then I remember <laughs> I, I had a, another one that night and that the one at night was like the one that was like, I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's a bit much. That was, <laughs> that was a, a lot. So, but again, it wasn't a bad experience. It was just, you know, sometimes they're a little bit heavier than uh, what I anticipate. <laughs> so, um, in my youth, I was a lot more immature as we all were. And uh, I remember giving uh, one of my favorite things to do was take fellow, uh, you know, fellow college classmates to my favorite uh, cigar lounge in Fort Worth, um, Pop Safari. And, uh, and uh, who I later, I actually later worked for the proprietor, uh, Perry Tong, um, who unfortunately passed away earlier this year. Um, and, uh, one of my favorite things to do is to hand them a La Florida Dominicana um, <laughs> and just see what their reaction was to it. And I, I remember there was this one kid, his name's Jim. I uh, went to school with him. Uh, I mean, just imagine the most energetic person you've ever met in your life. Imagine Matt Booth, uh, but, and, and multiply that energy by about five. And that was Jim. And I gave him a La Florida Dominicana and that kid did not talk <laughs> for the rest of the night. Apparently he went back to his dorm, apparently laid down and just kind of stared at the top of his bunk, like into oblivion for like, you know, the rest of the night to where the next day, you know, speaking of your experience with, uh, uh, you know, substance and everything uh, being lacking and stuff. I was a member of a Christian fraternity and Jim was not of age to be drinking. And so I got a call the next morning from his roommate. Oh, and who's also in our fraternity. And, uh, and he was like, Hey man, I want to talk to you. And I was like, okay. <laughs> kind of like the similar call you got about your blog. And, and I was like, what's going on? And he's like, Hey, I want to talk to you about Jim. And I was like, what, is he okay? Is everything all right? We had a good time last night. He's like, yeah, that's what I want to talk to you about. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and he's like, um, listen, man, you know, you know, you know, gave me the, you know, it's okay to do what you got to do and blah, blah, blah. But you know, Jim's not, you know, Jim's only 19, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, <laughs> you know, he tells me how Jim reacted the night before. And I was like, he's like, man, it's just not cool to get, you know, our, our brother's drunk, man. I was like, I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, Nathan. I haven't had a drop to drink and yeah. And neither did he, unless he drank something when he got to the dorm and he's like, what are you talking about? I was like, man, all we did was have a cigar. And he's like, did you notice anything weird? I was like, yeah, he didn't talk. 
And he was like, that was the cigar. And I was like, that was the cigar. And so from that point on, I never gave a first time smoker a Florida Minicana ever again. Um, just cause of that terrible experience. Uh, but Jim, Jim still smokes cigars, So I didn't ruin it for him. So I, I, I still count it as a win, <laughs> but, uh, you know, pro cigar is definitely one of those things that I definitely want to want to get to. It sounds like an amazing experience. Like you said, very international, which just sounds really appealing to me. I'd love to get other people's perspectives. It's funny. Cause like you go there and they say, I mean, nobody really like, cause like the media always sticks together for some reason like all the us u.s media it's like it's usually like you know it's like cigar um press people cigar snob people tobacco business or whatever company we're with at the time it's like we're all like in one like huddle group cigar coop you know some of the other writers freelance writers all of us american press people always stay together and because they you go to press cigar and they're like international people we all you know this table is for you and like, you're not used to like you being the international person. So you go there and you're like, they want us to sit like in the middle, like uh, up front. And you're like, that's okay. And like, no, no thanks. I mean, and it's just like, but it's just like, you go there. Like I said, you're, you're suddenly, you're suddenly the, the international guest. And you're like, oh, me? Like, like we're international here. It's like, it's just so funny. It's just a, a different experience, but it's worth going. Like if you can go. I would say definitely go and like, and have that whole experience. Like for me, after I did like the, the whole week, like the, the first part, I was just like, you know what? I'm good. I'm just going to fly into Santiago and do like the, the factory tour part. And I'm good. Like, I, but people like the first part in the, it, it to me, it, it's, it's not my, my full thing, but uh, especially like the bus ride to Santiago. It's like, I would rather just fly straight into Santiago, you know, be at the hotel, be dumb. I don't, the, the bus ride up there or whatever is just like not, not for me, but it could be for other people. I, uh, I took a bus ride when I went on the Davidoff tour uh, from Santiago all the way to, uh, we finished the week in uh, at Casa de Campo, which is on the coast, you know? Uh-huh. And uh, I just remember being on that bus for like, it was like, six hours and they kept saying like oh we're we're a couple hours away like we were a couple hours away for like six hours <laughs> like it, or we were 45 minutes away for like three hours it was ridiculous i mean uh can't gotta hand it to the bus driver he was very safe <laughs> you know <laughs> and clearly not in a hurry and and if you were in a hurry then you were on the wrong bus but uh um but that yeah i i'm i'm really excited about uh hopefully uh going to pro cigar one day um, so we've mentioned him quite a bit this evening. And I, I, one of the features that you did um, recently uh, in the past year was was on Matt Booth, um, mm-hmm. who, who, I, um, who I'm very friendly with. Um, and I know you're I know you're friends with. And uh, I, I thought it was a really, really great piece that you did. One thing that grabbed me right off the bat, and I could not think of a better way to describe Matt Booth's story which I've explored in on this show and then just personally in conversation, but I could not think of a better descriptor than, I mean, you, here's a man I knew and you grabbed me off the page. Here's a quote, a career worthy of a Netflix binge. <laughs> and I was like, that's Matt Booth. And that was per, how did you come up with that? I have no idea. I have no even, it's funny. Cause like sometimes I, like when I write stuff, I just go into this weird zone 
and I just like write whatever's in my head or whatever. So obviously that probably came from something that he said, because that seems like a very Matt Booth thing to describe himself, you know, his story. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure that he probably came up with that. And I probably wrote it down somewhere and saying, we're going to have to work, work that into the story somewhere. It's really funny because a lot of times I'll write stuff and then I like, I leave it. I, I send it out into the world. Like I don't like to reread my stuff. I just, cause I don't want to second guess it or say, Ooh, I don't know that person might get mad at this or whatever. I just kind of, I put a lot of thought into like when I'm writing it and then I read it and then I send it off and don't think about it anymore. So it's funny that you say that, that phrase. Cause I'm like, did I really write that part? I was like, that sounds kind of cool. I was like, but I was <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure Matt Booth probably said that at some point. Cause when we did his interview, we did it. Usually I, I'll interview somebody like one time and then I'll do my own research outside of that, you know, with other interviews, they've done places and that's it. But with Matt Booth, it was like a multi-day, like we would talk for 30 minutes here, you know, call it a day, talk for an hour this day, you know, call it a day. When we, when I came out of that interview with him, it was like trans, the transcription was 33 pages. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds about right. And then I had to condense 33 pages down into basically 3,000 words. So that was like, I was like, oh crap, like this is going to be like a monumental task, like to figure out how to do this. Could do an anthology, man. Just release it in volumes. Yeah. <laughs> I told him, I'll say, I'll say, I can write my own novel, you know, just based on, on Matt Booth. You know, and, and I really like that kind of, it ended up being kind of a tee up um, because you started a project uh, when COVID uh, started taking place. Cause like we were, we were all at home and um, you know, a lot of people who don't have time on their hands suddenly found time on their hands. And I mean, I've been doing the same thing. I've been doing the show. Uh, this is the 167 take. It was around well before COVID started. And during COVID, it was pretty much the same other than the fact that, you know, I could actually talk to a lot of people that I couldn't before because their schedules actually permitted it, which was kind of nice. Um, but you started a project that I've, I, I've really, uh, speaking of binge worthy, I mean, this is some, this is some really great conversations that you've had and you're wearing the t-shirt right now for, yeah, deep and that's cuts. our, our deep cut, uh, deep cuts live that you do on Instagram, uh, which is an, in, is an interesting uh, platform. Um, in, in terms of engagement, I mean, uh, the perfect platform uh, right. for, for impromptu conversations and everything. And um, I, I mentioned deep cuts now because, you know, it was, uh, it was the first one you did was with Matt. So it ended up being this, this kind of precursor to this feature that you would do later on in the year. And uh, I'm not sure the timeline, I'm not sure if you'd already interviewed him <laughs> and then you interviewed him. What, what was the timeline there? I think we did deep cuts. Oh wait, deep cuts was in March. And his story wasn't until later that, that year. So Deep Cuts came first. And I remember I had Michael Herklotz was doing like his own Instagram live like almost right. every day. And I was like, wow, that's kind of cool. Like, you know, kind of, you know, he was different people that he knew. It wasn't always cigar people. It oh, was, yeah, it was great. Know, and, I, and I thought I was like, God, I was like, this is kind of awesome. I was like, I like it. And then my friends, Amy and Erica were doing the um, well, lounge um, experience the lounge experience they were doing their thing on instagram live and i was like wow i was like I, but it wasn't really my thing because i was like i never used instagram but to post a picture and call it a day 
So, you know, I was like, maybe I should start my own one day. They're like, oh, yeah, do it. And I was like, I don't know. I was like, because, you know, this whole, how does it work? You know, is the connection going to be good enough? It was like so many things. I was like, barriers I was putting up. And finally, I was like, I'll do it. And I was like, (laughs) who would be the first person I would want to do? And I was like, so I like, I, I remember texting Matt Booth and saying, Matt Booth, like, I need you. I need your help. And he was like, I'll do it. And I was like, okay. And so that was the first one. You know, and it was, it was fun. I was like, it was different. And then I just kept doing it, you know, even after that, because it was like, like you said, there was like nothing else to do. Like we weren't going to trade shows. We weren't going to events. Um, there was all this time on the hand. And I was like, I was like, how can I use this, this time wisely? And I was like, you know, it'd be nice to do stuff to get better at something, not the art of conversation. And that's why I was like, I was like, oh, it'll be all impromptu. I won't, I won't give people questions like I usually do with the magazine. Cause when I'm doing a magazine interview, you get the questions ahead of time. Cause I don't want you to be surprised or say that you got some, you know, something, something was talked about that shouldn't have got talked about. So I usually give people a pretty good, you know, list of questions that we're going to talk about. But for deep cuts, I'm just like, we're just going to talk for an hour. It'll, it'll be whatever, you know, whatever's, you know, coming up with you all or what projects you're working on or what you watched on Netflix and, and stuff like that. So it turned to this really in our, you know, organic fun, just open-ended conversation. And I like Instagram live because it kind of caps you after an hour. <laughs> so I always feel like I have things to do and I feel like they have things to do. So I was like, Oh, you know, we're, we're out of time. Let's just like leave it at that. And we'll, you know, we can do like a revisit later on down the line. But it's, it was fun. It was different. And I do it periodically now. I mean, we've all kind of gotten out a little bit more lately. So it's kind of harder sometimes to pin down people like it, you know, than it was last year. But it's something that I, I do. But there's been so much magazine stuff to do and TPE stuff to do that it's kind of, you know, taking a back burner. That, but hopefully, you know, as the year goes on, I'll get back to doing it on a, like a regular basis because i think the last one was you did in march was you mentioned erica a minute ago of the lounge experience i think that was the last one you did that was back in march right no uh i did erica back in december i think the last one i did was uh emperor's cut and that was it might have been a couple weeks ago okay I i missed that one i need to i need to catch up um on that so but yeah i mean these are these are some great conversation we're talking about i mean the whole thing of binge worthy like my show is not binge worthy you know this we've had a couple hour long conversation at this point so i mean that and that's typical for my for my show but the you know you know if you're wanting some really nice great conversation i mean these are some people that are i mean i like i said i loved your i loved the one with ernesto perez Carrillo jr i thought that was sensational i think you caught him uh, in a lot of ways in in his element you know um I, i've had the opportunity the privilege of interviewing him and and i thought it was a, i thought it was an amazing interview but i mean what you were able to capture in an hour was just was was terrific it was just sensational i, re- I remember david from ep Carrillo reached out to me he was like antoine like you're doing these shows and you know i, I wanted to know do you want to have a set or or Ernesto on your show. And I was like, uh, yeah, like, that would be cool. I didn't think that they would, they would want to be on my little thing I'm doing. It was like, oh no, like I'll see which one wants to do it. And I was like, either one would be fine with me. And I was like, I I enjoy talking to Lissette as well. I don't know if you 
ever spoken to her, but, uh, you know, she has a lot of knowledge, especially about the marketing and, and stuff about the company. And so I, I was thinking it'll, it'll probably be Lissette. So I was like, you know, that'll be cool. I was like, and then he came back and said, okay, it's going to be Ernesto. And I was like, oh my God, like, it's going to be Ernesto. Like, cool. I was like, I don't know. But like, again, like I gave them a, a little bit of an idea of what we will talk about, but it was nothing like, like, these are the exact questions you're going to be asked. It was just like organic. It was just like, we were just sitting in front of each other randomly talking and what I liked about that interview was that more people ask questions than they usually do. Cause sometimes I get on there and nobody has a question. So it's just me, you know, keeping the conversation going for an hour. But for that one, they were like, what town of tobacco do you like to work with? What? <laughs> so I was just like, okay, Ernesto, you got some questions. And he would just, I mean, he was just like going at it. Like he was like, Oh yeah. Like this, you know, this, this, this. And it was just a fun like hour, you know, and it was like a really, interesting and same for Raphael Nodell I was like I was like you know Alta just reached out to me hey do you want to interview Raphael I was like yeah great. he's a great interview gosh I love right him. I was like god I was like yeah I was like I would love to interview him if he wants to you know sit on the show he was like okay well, well he like he'll do the interview he'll probably want to play some piano and I was like if he can do whatever he wants to so it was such like you know, that's what I enjoyed about it. It was like people weren't just sitting in their office, you know, doing these interviews. I mean, they were like at home, like everybody else. Right. So it was just, you know, that I knew I could never recapture that that moment. And I was like, you know, it's fun for what it is. And then I was like, let's see how long this thing goes. You know, I didn't had no intention of doing it like the whole year. It's just like a, uh, we'll, we'll see how long it lasts. And now it's become like a, a kind of mainstay experimental thing that I do on the side, like, you know, and some of those interviews end up, you know, helping to lead into some editorial later on down the line. Cause I'm like, Oh, that was a good, you know, story that we didn't even think about, you know, let's follow up in editorial. No, absolutely. Um, you know, you mentioned Lisette Carrillo, um, and her, her, her prowess in, in the marketing aspect and, and, and others too, obviously. Um, but, uh, you know, speaking of marketing, I, I think one of the one of the really interesting stories in this industry, and I had the opportunity to interview him a few weeks ago, and then you also had a piece I think that came around the same time was was Sean Williams, mm-hmm. you know, and you know Sean's got got an incredible story, um, and I thought I think I, I you know one of the and I've heard him say it several times, and he said it in your interview as well. He talks about the story about how he got the call or the text rather from Rick Rodriguez about becoming on board and working with the Cohiba brand. And I loved that you shared that with the your audience about how he was like, I wasn't aware Cohiba needed a guy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like it was funny because, you know, our conversation started with a text because he had been on deep cuts before and something like, I remember I was out walking one weekend like a Saturday morning and I get this text from Sean and it was something about like, he, he alluded to something about like, we had never done a story on him, you know, for the magazine. And maybe it came right, right after the, the Matt Booth story. I think he read the Matt Booth story and said, Oh, you know, I've never gotten a, a story yet in the magazine. I was like, Oh, I was like, we should, you know, definitely do something about it. And when I got, when, when we did the interview, I was like sitting there reading the, you know, like looking back at the responses and stuff like that and like really thinking about it. And I 
remember going to the, you know, my boss and, and pitching the story. I was like, this is an opportunity to like, you know, do a cover story. I think I think I think I think Sean's like, again, he's been in the industry forever. You talk to the lots of these, um, you know, smaller brands, these boutique brands, and they usually say, you know, like, who do you go to it for advice? I go to Sean Williams for, you know, advice on how to do it because he did it himself. So I was like, this is a cool story. I think that will make a good cover story. And I was like, nobody, again, like what other magazine is going to do it at this point? <laughs> because there's not a lot of magazines out there anymore. And the cigar magazines that are out there are mostly celebrity based or model based. So it was like, why not? Like, let's do it. And he was like, go for it. If you think you it'll make a good story, do it. And that's what we did. So it was a really good story. I think one of the most, and in hindsight, in my own interview, I wish we'd kind of tackled this aspect more, but one of the things I learned about him or kind of re-realized back playing my own conversations with Sean and getting to know him over the years and what you captured pretty poignantly was that here's a guy who got into the industry lightning fast, started smoking cigars, you know, 18 months later, he's down, you know, having conversations with Placencia about El Premier Mundo, Right. And for a guy who started off that lightning fast, and this is something you captured very, very well in, in your piece on him, was he's very calculating. He has a very calculating nature about him, uh, despite being that kind of fast to starter. Did did you did you pick up on that at all, or was that just me reading reading your piece and coming to my own conclusion? It's probably you probably picked up on that and, and came to your own conclusion. Like my thing, it's like I always tell people, like I never know what people are going to get out of half of these stories. So it's always fun for me to like hear that you picked up on that in a story. Cause it's probably something that I've not thought about. You know, I just try to tell people, I was like, I'm going to tell your story, however you want me to tell, you know, put it out there. And, um, you know, the fact that you picked up on that is good because that's, I mean, he is pretty, I mean, the way you described is, is, is how he is. So, yeah, I, I've 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 been a fan of Sean's for a number of years, and I think that you know, again, he, and that's I mean, we can go round and round on this, and we've said it several times tonight. It just you know, the the, the stories that are in this industry are just, I mean, there's just so many. It's inc it's incredible. It's 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 a never, you know, you can keep going back to the well, and you, and and you can keep going like you said, like you, 33 pages of dialogue with Matt Booth. I mean, you could go back several times, and you'll still scratch the surface on someone like him it's just it's an incredible you know it's incredible exactly you know i, I don't want to spoil this too much because this is your most recent cover story um i don't you know so if you guys want to check out the article go go get the magazine i know uh i know uh antoine would appreciate it but the the latest pieces you did was on dylan austin of davidoff um, I, I will grab this one piece and like, if you guys want to catch the rest of the story, you got to go, got to go check out the magazine. But, um, I, I didn't know this about him. Um, so Dylan, you know, grew up in a, you know, grew up in a family, his, his grandparents were Cuban and he went to a all Cuban boys school in Florida when he was a child. And, and it's interesting cause you, you we were talking about diversity at the top of the show and, you know, here's a white guy, but he was placed in a very, very, from a very early age, he was very, he was placed in a very challenging environment because mm -hmm. of diversity. 
And I thought that was a really interesting, um, you know, something I, something very interesting that I discovered about them. I had no idea. I had no idea about it. And I, I mean, so again, and I didn't either. Grab me off I, the page. I mean, we, did, we had never, I mean, Dylan, somebody that I've seen, like I said, I've, I've done a Davidoff trip. So we spent time together and stuff like that, but we never sat down and said, like, I never sat down with him and said, like, tell me your story. Like, let me know, like, wh what your background is. So really, I learned a lot about him by doing that interview. So, and that was, and, and I tell people that, like, we could have easily had done a story about Davidoff and the business of Davidoff and all this stuff. But I was like, how many people really want to hear that story? I mean, you would hear it through Dylan, but at the same time, like, don't you want to know about the people who are behind the scenes who are working? And here's, you know, Dylan, now the president of Davidoff of Americas, but do you really know his story? Like how he got to where he is. And I felt like not a lot of people knew all the nitty gritty details about who he was or what his background is or what his personality is. And, you know, you, you know, he's not, he's very active on social media, but as again, like you don't, unless you are in the industry, I don't think you get the chance to really know Dylan. So I thought the cover story was a great chance to kind of say, this is the guy, like this is the guy who's in charge of, of Davidoff and the personality. And you kind of see his personality kind of woven into the team at Davidoff now and mm -hmm. the products and, you know, their different take that they have right now compared to maybe the, the early, the, you know, Davidoff of a couple of years ago with HK and Jim Young. It's a completely different company right now. No, I completely agree. I completely agree. Um, so I just got a couple more questions here, Antoine, and this is the time of the evening. I always, I always thank my guests. Um, I, I know, I know how late it is uh, for you and, and for you to sit down on mother's day, no less uh, to sit down and have a conversation with me over the span of a couple hours. And so we can get to know you a little bit and, and, and just hear your story and the stories that you tell um, has just been, it's been really eye opening. I've, I've just really appreciate it. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart. I really appreciate it. No, thank you. So last couple of questions here um, that I had. So we were talking a little bit about this before the show. Obviously, tobacco business will obviously be at TPE. <laughs> yes. Um, but unfortunately, you won't be there this year. Um, correct? Correct. I, I, I mean, I, I know at some level that's got to be disappointing for you. Yeah. But at the same time, like we have worked. So when I say we, I mean the team at TMG, Tobacco Media Group, has worked so hard to put on the show this year that everything has to be right. And one of the parts about being right is make sure that everybody's kept safe. So there's several people, you know, on the team who just can't make it to the show this year because our vaccination schedules didn't really align with the show. And I think you, we, you and I talked about that, you know, early on about how it was like, if it was, you know, if we could have gotten our vaccinations a week or two earlier, it would be a completely different, story but oh yeah um you know being on the safe side and having people who are like immunocompromised in your family it you just have to kind of say you know this is not going to be like the last tpe i mean i tell people i was like you know tpe 2020 you know 21 which is going to happen this week is going to be an awesome event it's going to be the first time that a lot of people are going to uh, get to see each other there's going to be new products which i know is like all right the main driver behind the trade show. There's going to be new products to be had. Um, an awesome opening party. Um, 
I'm sure lots of business and lots of networking, which is the bloodline of a show. Um, that being said, there's also TPE 2022 that's really just around the corner. It's in Jan it's in January of, of you know 2022. So it's like less than a year away. So we're, you know, I might not be able to make able to make it at this one, and there might be other people out there who might not be able to make it to this one for various reasons, but you, you need to put the TPE 2022 show kind of on your radar because uh, that will probably be even better because hopefully we won't have to deal with social distancing and mask and six foot apart and all this other, you know, rules and regulations that we have to kind of uh, abide by just to get this show um, greenlit. So recognizing that TMG uh, tobacco media group, which you're a part of is, mm -hmm. is, is only in, in no short order, but is only a very small facet of Cretech international, which runs the tobacco bless expo. Mm -hmm. I mean, what, what have you been hearing from everyone on, on your, I guess your collective team, the, the, the global team, if you will, about this event. I mean, are, are, I mean, are, are people coming or is, are you guys at capacity, under capacity? Like what, what, what is that? What's it going to look like for, I mean, we won't know until this week and everyone starts showing up, but I mean, oh, right. what's, what, what's it, what's it sounding like at, you know, at headquarters, I guess. Well, I would say months ago, like February, we, it was a big question mark. It was like, what does, you know, Vegas hadn't, come up with any type or Nevada I should say hadn't come up with any type of reopening plan we had no idea what the capacity limits were going to be um, we had no idea what the vaccination rollout was really going to look like um, there are so many questions it was like can we really make it over the hurdle to have a show this year um, and there's been lots of things basically it's been like a week to week thing where we've just had to work through all these issues and what we've gotten to now is like I think a lot of people in the industry, even as you know, late as uh, last month, April, were like, is this show really going to happen or is it not going to happen? And now I think most people say, oh, so it is happening. <laughs> and now we've seen like the attendance kind of have a, a, a huge jump over where we were even last year in terms of, I, can, I can't speak like numbers, but I can say, especially in terms of like premium tobacconists who are interested in coming to the show, um, it's above where it was, you know, even for 2020. And I think it's just because people really want an in-person event. <laughs> you know, they yeah. want to see, they, 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 they're a little bit tired of Zoom. I think Zoom is awesome. I think it will still be here, you know, into the future. But this is the first chance for a lot of people to get together. This is the first chance for them to, you know, network to, and there's the stuff that you can get done in person that you can't, unfortunately get done over a zoom or email or a phone call or FaceTime. Um, you can't beat an in-person event. So um, like you said, we're not going to know what it looks like in terms of like the actual attendance until obviously later on this week, but I think it's going to be well attended from what I've heard. <laughs> um, I think the exhibitors kind of feel a little bit more confident now that they have heard. I've, I've seen exhibitors kind of asking on Facebook their uh, customers, are you coming? And a lot of people are saying, yeah, we're going to come. And they're posting on Instagram that they're coming and there's new exhibitors. So um, I'm feeling confident and I think the team is feeling confident or else we wouldn't be having a show this year. If we didn't feel confident that this was going to happen, 
I don't think we would have pushed through, but we went through the safety plan thing and you probably have seen 10,000 emails about it. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a very long process of making sure that we got the safety plan worked out. It's been worked out. It's been approved of. So there might be, it might be a little bit of a different show in terms of just a little bit more rules to make sure that everybody stays safe. But obviously it's happening. People are coming. And I think the people who do show up to TPE 2021 are going to have a good time and get some business done. Awesome. So will, uh, will tobacco business be covering PCA and will you be there? Um, I have not heard that we were going to PCA, but I guess in, in some capacity we'll be covering at least the exhibitors who show up there, but I've not heard that we will be going to PCA this year in terms of tobacco business. So is that discussion even on the table or you're, you're, are you just, you know, you just, you're just not certain at this point. I'm not certain. I think that that's probably well above my pay grade, (laughs) my pay grade. That's like another level that I'm not privy to. So I have not heard that we were um, planning to go to PCA this year though. I'll be there this year and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that you guys do come. Cause I'd love to, I'd love to actually, you know, talk yeah. to you in person and, and see you there and we can, uh, we can cover some of the show together. So it'd be, I think it'll be interesting and, and fun. So, yeah, definitely. Uh, um, so this is, uh, this is my last question of the night. And as always, it's always our curveball segment, which is, uh, sponsored by Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust. Uh, fastballs or curveballs doesn't matter since the company's inception. Steve Sock has been knocking them out of the park. Six consecutive years in the consensus top three yeah i looked it up and i even got fact checked by my colleague cigar coop on that so six consecutive years so here's my curveball uh my curveball question for you to conclude our night here antoine so it's up to interpretation again just another fun question for you but as a purveyor of vinyls and music and albums that you are who in the cigar industry who's in the cigar industry's album would you buy and what kind of album would it be? So would it be, you know, so-and-so and would it be a music album? Would it be a comedy album? Would it be something different? Just, uh, you're up, like I said, up to your interpretation. And uh, I have a few ideas of who you might grab, but maybe you'll catch me off guard here with somebody. If, let me see, cigar industry albums. Uh, well, they don't even have to be a musician. It would just be like, oh, that'd be really cool if, like I said, it's completely open-ended just for fun. Well, I mean, I think I've, I've always heard, you know, Nick Perdomo and then you go into his office and there's a big drum set. Right. I, I think we want to see the, the, the drum and there's so many drummers in the industry. Yeah. I w- you know. Maybe Ernesto, it's a, Michael Herklotz, yeah. I was about to say, so maybe it's like a, 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 I don't know what it is about cigar people and drums, but, you know, I would love to see like a little compilation, you know, now that's what I call cigar, cigar drummer music or something like that, <laughs> where, where we get a collection of these people who are, are drummers, uh, you know, playing, because I always see, like I said, Nick Perdomo and the, the drums in his office. Herklots and the drums. There's so many people in Ernesto, like you said, in the drums. Uh, I would want to see like a compilation album of, you know, 
them playing their favorite whoever, you know, maybe a cover album of some sort. Have you heard any of them play? I've heard Nick play. I haven't heard Michael play. I haven't heard Ernesto play. Have you heard have you heard any of them play? I don't think I have. Cuz Nick's really good. Like, I mean, I don't know why that's that that shouldn't be surprising. Like, you know, right. it's, it, it it's in his office for crying out loud. You know, he you know, he probably uses it to I think I've heard him play steam. like in in passing at IPS, at one of the IPS PRs I've been to. Like, you, you know, you hear the drum, you're like, oh, it's, it's Nick. <laughs> and you pass out the booth and everybody's around. You're like, oh, especially me because I'm shorter. So I'm always like, who is that? Like, what's going on over there? So I'm sure I think I've, I've heard him play. But yeah, I mean, some of the other people, Ernesto and, and Michael. Yeah, I, I want to hear that. Well, awesome. Well, that was our curveball segment. And uh Antoine, I really appreciate you sitting down tonight. This was this was a lot of fun. I really appreciate your time and uh, your answers. And this was a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and thank you for having me on. So for everyone out there, really do appreciate our audience for tuning in tonight and staying up late with us as always. Uh, you can always catch this uh, this show on uh, on replay on our Facebook page, Alosa Pumar. It's also we've also got a calendar of upcoming guests on there as well, so you can catch out who's going to be appearing next on Alosa Pumar takes. Um, really excited about uh, take one sixty eight uh, next week as we'll be uh, we'll be welcoming back Ben Holtz of Dissident Cigars and James Brown of Oveja Negra Brands, and we'll be talking about their collaboration together and how they came up with a number of cigars, including the Yellow from our takes number two cigar of the year last year, the Dissident uh, Block Lonsdale. So that will be a lot of, that will be a great conversation to kind of get behind the curtain a little bit. And uh, we've got some great guests coming up as well, as, including someone we've been talking a lot about tonight. Matt Booth will be coming on the 6th of June. So that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, you can always check out our YouTube page, Alos Fumar. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button, as well as if you are listening to podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that be on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, or iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to podcasts, check out Alos Fumar Takes. Don't forget to download, subscribe, and review. If you already are a subscriber, I encourage you to unsubscribe. But please don't forget to resubscribe because that helps my numbers so I can continue to get great guests like Antoine uh, this evening. So for everyone out there, I really appreciate all your likes, shares, and comments. I'm Barry Duplissy. This was our 167th take live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studios of Euless, Texas. He's Antoine Reed. Guess what, everybody? See you next time. <laughs>